people and welcome again to another episode of Figurisms. I'm your host Grant Trimble and in this show I talk to creatives such as models, photographers, painters, etc. that utilize nudity in their work. The whole purpose of this is to try and understand with greater depth the message, meaning, and choices behind the people traveling this path to foster a greater comprehension of the use of nudity in the arts. I myself fall into this category but why people do this can be obviously very wide-ranging. Despite the very long history of this discipline, there still remains many misunderstandings and objections to this practice, so my aim is to alleviate some of the stigmas surrounding this endeavor. In addition, I hope to add some context to the greater cultural dialogue regarding sexuality by challenging how nudity is perceived in our society. In this episode, I talked to Shona McAndrew. Shona received her MFA from the famous RISD, Rhode Island School of Design, in 2016, after graduating from Brandeis University with a degree in fine arts as well as psychology. In 2017, she was part of the NSFW Female Gaze Exhibition at the Museum of Sex in New York, where she received attention from publications such as Vice, Playboy, CNN, The Huffington Post, and others for her sculptures of larger-than-life plus-size women experiencing their bodies. Shona and I are able to talk in-depth about why this work is important to her, as well as much more with subjects that range from the importance of uncomfortableness, the trials of growing up other-bodied, the importance of Stuart, wanting to have a conversation with women, and what her lucky charm is. This is, so far, my longest conversation I've had while doing this show, which to me is only a reflection of how much needed to be talked about, because in all honesty, I, I could have kept going. Hopefully you will find it as fascinating as me, so for the full effect, my suggestion is to sit back relax, and let what Shona has to say sink in. The first question that I would really have for you is to ask if you could explain your work to us, for those who don't know it. Explain my work. Um, See, immediately I'm like, do I give the history of how I come to where I am now or what my work does or why I do it? Um, Well, I guess you're just more so just literally what your work is. And okay. kind of okay, why okay. you're doing it right now, and we can even get into the history of it and stuff as well. Okay. So yeah, we're not okay. we don't have a strict structure or anything. So however you feel like tackling okay. that. So I have very diverse practice. I make a lot of sculptures and paintings, but I also make digital collages, which have become my drawing style. It's how I figure out a lot of my final projects, and I make um, sculptures and paintings about women and especially other women and my own type of othering which has been which is being a plus size woman and I usually invent characters especially if they're sculptures and painting I paint myself and it's just women exploring and enjoying their body and I think it can it's it's a a conversation I want to have with other people especially women on how we experience our body when it's just for ourselves, when it's not um, for a viewer or because you're acting a specific way, but because you're alone with yourself. And I'm very intrigued by that. And I think it's an important moment to like remember that we're humans. I feel like we live in a world that is constantly trying to forget 
that we're humans. We're working further and further away from being animals. And something about that bothers me. And I kind of want to focus on that. You said it bothers you that we're getting away from being animals? From Yeah, from I think we're so obsessed with bleach white and everyone with our white teeth. You know, I grew up in Europe. People don't have bleach white teeth. That's, I mean, maybe increasingly, but when I, that wasn't something that, I, that happened or that you did when you go to the dentist. And then I moved to America and everyone had these really white teeth and they're all so sparkly and it's very nice to look at, but something about it was all so bizarre. They don't feel like teeth. They feel like something in someone's mouth. And that was like my first, I don't know, and then everyone, I feel like we just live in a world that's trying to make humans forget that we are animals, but rather we can, we are this supposed to be a specific image and we forget humanity behind it. I don't know. It's just something I've been confronting recently. And I think because of that women, you know, that's why we shave our legs. We, women are so, you know, when I was 13 and I first got my leg hair, I was so excited that I could remove it because that's what women do. I felt like a woman now because I could remove my leg hair. That's so wild. Like I have leg hair because I'm an animal or I'm a human and that's where hair grows. But it took 15 years to get there. Like for 15 years, I had shame. I mean, I dated boys who would touch my leg and I had forgotten to shave for one day and would tell me, make sure you shave because it's uncomfortable. And I would feel so shameful that my body was creating something that it it creates. Yeah, a reminder so almost that, a, like yeah, you said, re- that you're, we're animals. Exactly. And I, and I think I like, that's what I want to do in my work is these moments where you're, you're just squeezing your body because it's fun to squeeze and you have a body and not because you're trying to readjust it because it doesn't look right. You know, different ways of touching yourself or where your hand goes when you're watching a movie and it's cold and your crotch is the warmest part. So why wouldn't you just go there? And that's so very human and we all do it, but it's so shameful because it's not talked about. And when it is, it sounds so dirty or inappropriate, but how could it be inappropriate? That's something that you naturally do and we all do. So also maybe discussing the turn inappropriate that bothers me so much, especially for women, you know, being ladylike. And what does that mean? Um, that always bothered me, uh, that term. And now it intrigues me so much. It almost feels like my work is all about, is in my mind constantly considering that term ladylike and the restrictions that have come with it and what I now see as being ladylike. You know, yes. <laughs> yeah, I, well, when you say that get away from being animals, that's something that I think about uh, as well. And one of the representations that I almost think of is death in the process of death. I, I think it very much is about trying to remind ourselves that we're really finite beings and we are very uncomfortable with that reality. Absolutely. And it's the reason even why after we die, you know, this whole process of we put makeup on the person and all this kind of stuff and, and make them very much look like they're just kind of like lying there. Yeah. And I think it's kind of somewhat similar to what you're saying, even Absolutely. about whitening teeth and stuff. We're, we're very uncomfortable with this, the reality of death. And I think especially yeah. in our society. Completely. And aging and what you're supposed to do at specific ages. Well, you're 25, you should be doing this or you're 50. You have to be doing this. And I don't know. I think I, yeah. All of these 
these rules and lists of things you're supposed to do through your lifetime is, uh, you know, contrary to being human, I believe. I completely agree. I, that's something that my wife and I even talk about. And I think, and maybe this is the thing too, is growing up, like you said, in Europe, you maybe missed out on a certain element of when to do things. I, th I think they're very much cultural elements mm -hmm. to all this. Um, so growing up in sort of different cultures, like we were talking about before, uh, your father is a Jewish American, your mother is Scottish. Yeah, and yeah. so Russian. Or Russian, I'm sorry. Russian. Yeah. Um, yeah. Russian, Russian, Amer Russian American. <laughs> yeah. And uh, you kind of grew up in this sort of smorgasbord of cultures and oh yeah i almost think when you when you experience that how are you supposed to contextualize life because that to me is very much what culture sort of teaches us is this is how you're supposed to exist within the society to function kind of how we do things yeah um there's more not only were my parents from different places in the world they met in the 70s in Paris, and that's, they stay there. They both had, you know, my father's a lawyer, my mother does is visa expert, and they had children 20 years later, and I came around, and they never got married. They kind of lived together as friends and children. My father's Jewish, my mother's Protestant. Some years we had Hanukkah, some years Christmas, sometimes both. And so I grew up consistently in a structureless environment. Uh, my father doesn't speak French very well, so I only spoke English at home and French when I left home. So at all times, I'm, I was pulled in just so many directions. And I'm, I was a chubby girl in Paris. There weren't many chubby kids. So I, I just at all times felt removed um, from any of any, I don't know, any rules that you were supposed to follow. I just didn't have any really. Um, other than when I turned on the TV and saw a specific type of women and saw how young boys interact with young girls. And I think that's where my interest in how people interact with one another. It's maybe the one thing I always had. Um, do you mind repeating your question? Well, I feel like I got lost there. <laughs> no, Part I, of me felt like I was answering it. Then I was like, darn it. I think I missed the. No, I, I don't. It, I was, I think more so commenting on the fact that, you know, your environment didn't really have almost these consistence. And maybe the, the one consistent, mm -hmm. like you said, is that there were these ideas of masculinity and femininity that seemed to sort of transcend maybe all of the cultures and all of the environments that you were in. Maybe that was almost the one consistent. And absolutely, you could probably recognize that these standards that everyone was living to and held so closely were were totally arbitrary you know they were just oh, held beliefs and then you kind of almost would go well why is this one not arbitrary though oh completely and so i guess it was yeah. more of an observation and it really wasn't a, a question okay good and that uh, explain yes. why i didn't know where to land <laughs> <laughs> but i think in a way for different reasons i can i think somewhat relate to that in that and I've said this in other podcasts, but I was actually homeschooled through grade school and high school. I grew up in a really big Catholic family. I'm actually the oldest of 10. 
And the way that my family operated was very much different than how the rest of sort of society around us operated. As I entered sort of the typical, quote unquote, social environment that everyone would say is normal, uh, you know, in this area, so to say, uh, I could tell that there was that same arbitrariness in why people do things. And that was always kind of a reoccurring question to me was, if it doesn't have to be this way, why is it this way? Oh, yeah. And so I think even nude work and art and stuff like that very much even allowed me to explore that. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm talking too much. I'd, I'd rather hear what, <laughs> what you have to say. But you were, t- you were mentioning your art, though. How did you get into doing sculptures? I've always really been curious about how things were made. But I always assumed it wasn't an answer, a question I was ever going to answer. And so painting was my first love. And I never even considered sculpture until graduate school, where I had one summer and six weeks uh, before my first show in New York. And I had just seen a video of a woman making a paper mache sculpture of her dog. And it seemed so darn easy and completely within my abilities. And as I said, I'd never even tried sculpture before because it just never was something I thought would be my journey. But paper mache was just glue and flour and water and paper. And so I thought, why not do something really crazy and just make two life-size sculptures of me and my best friend and the sculpture of me plucking my best friend's armpit hair, that she one armpit hair that she had forgotten. And it's from a real memory we had. And it was just six crazy weeks where it was like a two billion degrees in my studio. It was my first time ever I had experienced panic attacks because of the extreme heat. I'm very dramatic when it's hot. I always joke that if I were a superwoman and kryptonite, and heat, heat was my kryptonite, I'd only be able to save people in very cold areas. Because if I ever got anywhere hot, I'd be like the most useless. I'd be on the floor crying and sobbing. Um, but I like almost killed myself and made these two life-size sculptures, and I just enjoyed it so much. It, it, everything that I loved, every mo- every little joy I had, like I loved dolls, and I was able to kind of like make, make my own dolls, these cute little noses, and I loved painting, and I was able to paint eyelashes and, and like paint freckles on all these little things that I love came together and then kind of made my own little buddies. And I just immediately, like love at first sight, I just loved it and... I am at times a perfectionist. I'm usually disorganized, and then I'll have moments when I'm just obsessive. And it's when I make. I get very. It's only when I make art, really. And I just saw these sculptures as something that I could. It seemed endless in terms of how much I could explore it and push the medium, and push people's experience with a dimensional body. And it came at a time when I was confronting my own body. I had just met my now boyfriend, Stuart. He was then my uh, best friend. And we had a very unusual relationship. Two years best friends, and now two years boyfriend now. Um, And I was confronting my feelings for him and what I assumed his feelings were for me about my body and his body. He's a smaller, leaner man. Um, And so I think I was making these bodies for both me for me to experience dimensionally 
and perhaps a little screw you to him for him to enjoy dimensions. So we both would love these plus size bodies. Um, so it was, uh, I was, yeah. What did, I'm sorry. I, what did you mean by that? You said you were kind of making them for uh, you and him. Or yeah, it's or, a, it's a very, it's something I've thought about for a long time. Uh, he re represented a lot of what I thought of men. You know, I've been taught men are just not attracted to plus size women. And I've always had these very strong relationship with men who love me so dearly but can never do one extra step. And I think that was my time of like, I am done with this. I'm done with collecting great best male friends who secretly adore me maybe a bit more than they want to adore me but never can overcome their own fears of a plus-size woman or being seen with a plus-size woman is a lot of uh, – that's a big, a, a big part of it. And so to confront those fears myself, I wanted to enjoy plus size bodies and not see it solely in terms of, I don't know, solely in terms of something that I experienced as shameful. Being plus size was very hard for me for a very, very long time, something I, I was very ashamed of. And I wasn't able to confront that with paintings because it was creating more flat imagery of naked women or women. And then sculpture allowed me to push past that and really put my idea into the world as a dimensional object and my idea of a woman and me as a woman. And through that, I really came to see a plus-size body so very differently, something so soft and cared for and curved and curvy and round and beautiful shapes and all these angles I got to discover while making a body that I don't see on myself because I only see myself from the head down. And then I think in that I was maybe trying to say something to my then best friend, Stuart, as, a, as my last, you know, one, I can't do this one more man who only sees me as, I don't know, a friend because that's something I've experienced for a long time. And it turns out that wasn't what was going on. Or if anything, seeing me become this artist and this confidence appealed him so greatly that now I think we're in a very important relationship and in a relationship that's very important to my art. Um, and as a woman, I think, yes, I hope that made sense. It's all very confusing to me as well, but I think that was the adventure I wanted to go on and I didn't feel that yet with painting. I didn't like the, yes. What was there, were there emotionally difficult periods throughout the creation of this work? Like, oh, absolutely. You know, the psychological process and stuff like that? Oh, yeah. I mean, when I say I had my first panic attacks, I really did. I had a lying down on the floor, thought I was dying of a heart attack. It was it was just very scary for me. My sculptures tend to be naked. I think I've only maybe out of the 13 or 15 sculptures I've made, only two have worn clothing. Um so I was really creating these bodies, and as they came from imagination, they also quite obviously came from my experience, so my own body. So they all, in many ways, look like me. And so it was very hard to not just make them, but it was also hard to like them, because I had spent so many years disliking my body or telling myself that I had to dislike my body because, you know, Shona, you're fat, you're not allowed to like what you see. And then I was making these sculptures that looked like me, and I kind of liked them. I liked how they looked. I liked how soft they were, everything I said. I liked all these different angles. I got to, I remember t pulling in one of my favorite professors and showing him 
I was like, this is the most beautiful thing I've, I've ever made. And I made him crouch down and look up at one of my sculptures and it was, you know, past her belly and her breasts. And it was just so beautiful and wavy. And I would never have done that to my own body. I would never say, come on, look up at my belly and my breast. It's really beautiful. But I was so very able to do that for a sculpture, even though the sculpture was in most ways my body. So that was very scary. And it was just scary to put myself out there because for so long I, like my body was a secret. And it was my secret, my shame. And then putting out these sculptures was a way of, you know, not making it only my problem anymore. And, and not, not, not that it was a problem, but that my, my fears were no longer just my problem. But my experience became for everyone else. Was there a... And then as a oh, I'm yeah, sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. No, no. No, oh, no, no. I was just going to ask, um, you know, when you said you putting it out there, was there a moment when that anxiety and that stress just dissipated? Or was it more of just a slow burn? I think a, a slow burn, but every time I see someone enjoy the sculptures, and it's most times, I've rarely had bad experiences face-to-face. And uh, I don't know, every time someone loves them or sees them as what I think they are, which is complex figures, and I, you know, my, I spend so much time making them that I quite obviously invent or imagine who they are. They, you know, I just sold one of my favorite sculptures, and I quite, I almost, I did tear up a bit when I left her, just because I spent a year living with her and I knew her face so well and. You know, she looked so comfortable in that little bathtub I put her in, and everything about her felt so close to me, and saying goodbye was quite uh, sad. Um, oh, sorry, my cat just walked over me. That's I okay. currently have two I have two dogs and a cat in the room, um, so it's busy. Full house. Full house. Um, yes. Now, so, so how much, then, of your work is a personal process and how much of it was meant to be public. I guess, you know, the way that I almost think about it is some people very much are, their goal is to be very public and curated. And I get the impression that a lot of it more so seems to be about a personal journey rather than it trying to be something incredibly defiant. And not that it can't be defiant, but almost where it stems from seems to be very much a personal journey as opposed to it just being about a proclamation that yeah, is absolutely. overtly public. I don't know if I'm compl- no, I could be completely wrong. No, I completely wrong. agree. No, I mean, not that this is therapy art, but I think a lot of my practice was for me and how I, it, how, I grew as a woman. I think this was very much when I feel like I'll look back when I'm an older woman and be able to remember why I made each piece and what pivotal moment in my growth that was. You know, when I, as I said, I've been in this relationship with my boyfriend, Stuart. And how long have you guys been together in a relationship? Since we, we became a couple a day after we gave our thesis back at RISD. We are RISD together in our MFA program. So now it's, two and a half years and he's my best friend we are we live together our studios are in our house and we're both working full-time in our studios so we are all always together and he is more than my partner in crime and i've made multiple sculptures of him as well yeah they're incredible by the way those are yeah. yeah pretty striking 
So they, you know, that's why I think I'll look back at that sculpture of he and it's a sculpture of he, uh, of Stuart and uh, and me and, and I and me in bed. My, the Netflix my and dad. chill. Netflix and chill. And he, he has a remote in one hand, and I am carelessly, like, holding his limp penis. And to me, it represented so much of how my body was. I was so comfortable. I am so comfortable. That was the first time I was comfortable with someone and able to be just naked and enjoying his body as much as it is my body. And it's a very peaceful moment in my mind. It's perhaps a bit reminiscent of sexuality, but it's much more sensual in my, in my eyes. Um, so I think all it is a very much of a personal process. I think as I'm making it and as I, I see how people react to my work, I think I've begun to understand the power both in making and in making my art. So I think I've become a bit more focused, but it's so, you know, when it's so, when it's so personal to my life, it could only really be, you know, an intimate process between me and, I don't know, and women. I, I do think I'm a, a woman, an artist making work for women. I, I picture myself going to each woman and holding her shoulders and telling her how worthwhile she is and. I'm so angry at the pain she suffered and I feel it so personally and deeply because I've suffered so very much for being a woman and for being my kind of woman. And I, I want my work to in some ways do that. That's what I would want from it. How did you get to the point where you were able I'm you know, I guess get to the point more so psychologically, where you're able to share that intimate experience of you and Stuart? Hmm. Uh, I think it was just such a, you know, I am the first, Stuart had a specific type before me, it was very typical petite woman, and I am the opposite extreme of petite. So I think me coming to terms with my body was at the same time where he was discovering this side of him where he didn't, he no longer had to perhaps follow these, you know, what he was told a man should be or should be with, which I think is a lot of what I've experienced with men is, you know, they can't get over that last hump or whatever it is, that expression. Um, so because this journey was so critical, you know, for him as much as it was for me and his experience of my body was so, you know, it happened the same time as I was experiencing my body that I couldn't not discuss him. It felt... It just wasn't an option almost. And I don't know, I'm very I'm very proud of our relationship. I'm very proud of him. I've, I love I love him so very deeply. And so I, I just, I want to scream it on the top of every roof. So it's nothing but a pleasure. And how people, I don't know, it's just very honest. And I feel like if I kept it secret, if I kept, you know, my slow, if I kept my fears or shame or, or, you know, whatever that word is of how our bodies look together, which is why I made that sculpture of us naked one next to the other. So in some ways, others can experience what we look like, but also I can see from a third eye or third person what we look like next to each other. So I just kind of had to do it for everyone. Was it for <laughs> everyone? Well, I guess when, you know, listening to that, where what I almost start thinking is a lot of times... Say, for example, during, you know, arguments, you're supposed to take uh, a a thought or an idea and kind of push it to the logical extreme. 
How much mm -hmm. do you think maybe some of that was trying to confront yourself or even him and, and others as well with that reality and kind oh. of, sorry, go, go ahead. ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, no. I was just agreeing with you. Finish your question. I know. I, I was just, because, you know, I'm apprehensive to put sort of myself into it. Just, you know, I, I obviously want to know what it is and I have thoughts and ideas as to maybe what's happening and, and I could be completely wrong. So anytime that I'm, Anytime that I'm wrong no. about something, please just say no. That's totally bullshit. I don't think bullshit. there is any wrong. No, there's <laughs> so, no such thing as wrong. So um, I, I'm I'm just kind of curious to, because that's almost how I think of it. Is it's kind of very much confronting and pushing things to to an extreme, and saying, "Look, this is a thing, and it can't just you can't push it you can't push it away. It's very much existing in front of you." And in oh, this, completely. in this kind of third person. And I was oh. just, you know, interested to, to know if maybe that was the case or maybe it was oh, I wasn't think that's beautifully said. No, absolutely. I completely think it's that. And I think it, it was in big part for me at first of like, you know, when, when he and I are lying in bed, our size difference isn't visible. You know, you're just two people lying next to each other. And so I was... You know, I wanted to see it. I wanted to know it was real and it was really there. And I, you know, I do want others to just acknowledge it. I, you know, that it bothers me so much that we live in a world full of people who think that because they're uncomfortable with something, it means whatever that something is doesn't have the right to exist. You know, it happens in every way that from racism to homophobia to fat phobia, you know, all these these people who have given some the, themselves the right to decide that another existence doesn't shouldn't be just because they can't get over their own preconceived ideas. I don't know, whatever you can take that, but it, it's always deeply bothered me and it felt so very personal. And, you know, being a plus size woman, I lived my whole life being told I was never going to be loved or never going to be appreciated. Or if I was, it's because I'm easy and, and desperate and and I wanted to not only show myself that that's not true but also show to everyone that what is truly behind closed doors is just a quiet soft beautiful loving moment that so many experience and that's what I experience in my work as well when people see my work it's not just plus size women saying I oh my god I recognize that moment it's just about anyone and yeah. everyone knows a moment that calm or should. I, 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 I hope for them that they do and many are lucky to have. And I think that also is what I'm trying to do is just connect everyone and show, yeah, just connect everyone. Well, I've, I very much get a sense looking at your work and even doing sort of some research and stuff about you reading the various articles, which I was incredibly happy to find out there were a number of them and they're, they're all on your website and I, I really think people should check them out but you seem to see behind the curtain so to say uh, of society and culture and those standards in a way that isn't almost uh, preachy and I guess there I'm sure there's a certain level level of anger but you seem to have a lot of compassion for people and communicating this sort of idea of seeing behind, I'm trying to think of the best way to say this because it kind of is a little bit abstract, but 
I think, yeah, the best analogy is it's almost like in The Wizard of Oz when they see the man behind the curtain and, you know, he says, pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. I can't help but think that you have a little bit of a glimpse behind, the you know, the man behind the curtain, so to say, <laughs> and you're sort of pointing it out to everybody. And <laughs> uh, no, I love that. That's, I'm. I enjoy that enormously. And, <laughs> Thank you. And that to me is what your work seems to be doing. And you seem to mm-hmm. be very comfortable with this. And usually this kind of comfort, it's not overly emotional. Because I think when people, usually when they express extreme emotions, is because they they don't usually understand something on an intellectual level. Or on the, on a rational level, I'm not you know, and it doesn't have anything to do necessarily with intelligence, so to say, but that they've bought into it very much emotionally, and you seem to understand it very clearly or with a level of clarity that most people don't, and yeah, that's where I think your work very much stands, and why I think it is so profound, and it it hits people kind of where it does, and one of the examples that you've even given about even your frustrations is one of your sculptures was being presented and some kids came in and touched it and at the breast of the sculpture and you posted a photo and it keeps being taken down. My whole Instagram was taken down because of that picture. Yeah. That's which is insane, but I can't help but think that there's something in your work that is obviously very much, confronting us with a reality that we don't want to see but it's not because like i said you're, you're not angry and it's not out of a, um the motivation isn't to destroy something say the establishment and yeah. i'm curious as to know when that became sort of conscious and if you can look back and notice if there was a moment in your time ta- in, in your past where you really became fascinated with that idea if it even exists like like I said it does um well I think as I said feeling so very othered and for sometimes good reason allowed me to never be really pigeonholed is that the expression I think it is mm-hmm. yeah um and I I was never you know I wasn't a woman in many ways in my eyes I wasn't especially effeminate or I wasn't thin. I wasn't pretty. I was more talkative. I was goofy. My best friend is, has always been my brother and he and I were inseparable. So I, you know, I was always a little bit of a, a little boy perhaps at heart. And so I, was, I think I was able to just take a step back and see everything and not as some, yeah, just see everything from the outside even though I may have been very much involved, I didn't feel it. So I was able to look back. And because no one took the time to define me and tell me I had to be this or this because I, you know, I, I was a chubby girl, so I, I was almost too gone, too, it's too late for me. Um, I got to discover for myself what I wanted to be and what I think a woman should be. And so when I see it in someone else, when I see, you know, my a very good friend of mine who is one of the prettiest women I ever know I've ever met. And she's since I've known her since we were kids and still to this day, she's gorgeous and men are always at her feet. And she has such shame over her body because she has cellulite. And I, the pain I feel for her when she says that, that despite being healthy and beautiful and smart and desired, 
the the way she sees herself is still through the eyes of all the I don't know everything she's heard and seen through her life the perf every perfect leg she's seen on every magazine every photoshopped image that her brain has fallen for and I feel such anger it makes me want to I don't know it makes me want to make more and talk to more women and I think I don't know when did it start I, I never was part of I never felt part of a women's group since I was a kid so I I think it, it didn't start, it just always was this way. You know, I always was an outsider, I always was looking in. My best friend, who is a gay man, jokingly always tells me that I'm a gay man. And I think he, he says that because I kind of, the same way that he, as a young boy, would, you know, look at men from a, a step back because, you know, all these, everything that he was being told about who he was and where he belonged, I in my brain self-imposed in no way the same, you know, experience he had, but a similar pullback, you know, a similar being told that you don't belong. Um, and I was like, you know, like a, I'm like a, I'm a, like a scientist in the jungle or someone who's taking notes on how animals interact. And I was able to take, you know, decades, like two decades of notes. And then it somehow, yeah. And it feels very relevant to today. You know, it's what we're all thinking about. Yeah. It just happened to be timely. Yeah, the perfect timing. And so with all of this and this feeling of being othered and on the outside looking in, why nudity? I think I always desired comfort in my body. It's not just that I'd want it to be thin, you know, like thin just seemed like the easiest way there. You know, it's what we're all told. But what I, not the easiest is not, not, but the easiest solution in those, what we're all sold. If you're thin, you'll be happy. And I just wanted to, I don't know, feel that, just feel comfortable in my, in my skin, no matter what I look like. And I wanted it with such anger. And I was so angry at myself for not being able to do that, for seeing what I was, you know, it, I knew that what I was being told was bullshit, but it doesn't mean it changes how you see yourself. You know, that you're brainwashed in many ways to believe what you hear. And that, that anger about being brainwashed perhaps pushed me to no longer wanting to feel that way. And I think nudity kind of, ha it's when you are alone with yourself in most times. That's when nakedness happens. It's in moments when typically you're naked at home, alone, or with a partner. So I think that it almost has this, like, in my brain, there was a shrine, this thing I was never going to be able to achieve, being naked and comfortable with someone, or naked and comfortable with myself, that someone could be me or someone else. I just never thought it was going to be possible. And maybe my way into that, that was just to confront it, you know, in sculpture form and in painting form. And... um I just love bodies. That's also it. I just love bodies. I think there's <laughs> nothing more beautiful. And I love all bodies. For a long time, I didn't know if I was attracted to men or women because it doesn't matter what I saw. I just was in awe of every shape. I just love it all. It baffles me every time I see a new naked body. Um, Do you remember when this that began, that, that awe and fascination? Well, one growing up in Paris, I when I said I had no traditions and all these things beforehand in my family, that's almost true, except I did have art. My mother was an artist, um, went to art school. 
and took me to museums and I took art classes my whole life since the age of five. And I went to the Louvre. It's not, it sounds fancy, but when you live in France, it's actually not that hard to make it happen. But I took classes in the Louvre and every Wednesday for a couple of years would go around and draw, paint. I mean, it's just everything around me. And my parents are also unconventional people who've lived somewhat hippie lives at times. So they're very comfortable with nudity. So I've seen my, I, I almost joke that when I had friends over, I had to convince my father to put underwear on. It's not that drastic, but at times it felt so when I was like a teenager. Um, so nudity wasn't a problem in my, you know, I grew up with, I think that's maybe also why I craved it so much. It's because of people around me just so casually did it. And I lived in Paris. So I'd, I lived on an island in the middle of the Seine, which sounds very lovely. And it really was lovely. That means during the summer when I walked home, I had to cross a bridge and the sides of the river would just be littered with topless women tanning. So bodies just were everywhere. And I loved them all. And I think, yeah, it, it all felt unattainable to me. How could they lie there and be comfortable? It felt impossible. How do they not mind being looked at? And how are they just, I don't know, able to be? And I just wanted that more than anything. And I want that for everyone. I Again, every time I hear of a, another reason why women are supposed to feel tell, terrible, oh, I just watched a great video, someone discussing how the Kardashians, who I despise, I dislike greatly, sell self-consciousness. And I really enjoyed that. You know, we live in a that term, so they sell self-consciousness. That's all we see everywhere, all, a new reason at all times to fear something new about ourselves, a new, I don't know. And I just didn't want to be part of, didn't want to believe it anymore. I don't want anyone else to either. So is it kind of true what the sort of stereotype with Paris is then that, that comfortable, that comfortability with nudity, does that really exist like that then? I mean, you know, you can't always generalize, but in my experience, yes. I mean, from my parents to parents who are often naked to, as I said, the sides of the, I mean, there's, I think it's just, maybe less taboo and but you know when i look it's not like people are much more like wild like my high school had much less sex and wild teenagers than my friends who lived in america so i don't i don't think it it made for a more crazy atmosphere i think it was just a a less stressful approach to bodies and nudity, which is bizarre for me to say, because I always talk about how distressing it was to be a chubby girl in Paris. But perhaps it's because everyone was just so comfortable and you just see bodies everywhere all the time that it made me very aware of how different mine was. Did you ever express this difficulty to your parents growing up? Mm, well, I, I had a very unusual... My father was perhaps not the most appreciative of my figure or my plus size figure so we had a bit of a a rough a rough uh relationship because of that we do we are much we are best friends now so everything turned out great but let's just say we were not best friends when i grew up in paris it took for me to leave for things to get a bit better so yes my my size and was very much made aware in my household was very much a conversation topic, which perhaps also has made me a more empathetic person as I know very much what it feels like to come home and feel 
almost more ashamed at home than anywhere else when even the outside's so shameful and how terrible it feels to, I don't know, hear that from people you love and from people you trust. And, yeah, that makes me a bit more aware of how important it is to talk about bodies and how beautiful they are or how complex they are or how flawed they can be and how flaws don't even exist. It's just a, a word, whatever way you want to take that conversation. All these things are things I understand the need for. At what point did those change uh, in, in your family, in regards to your family? When did that seem to take a positive shift? Um... I think, and this is the big truth. So the big lie that women are sold is that they're worth, and increasingly it's, you know, it's not as much now, but it's still very much as present, present, is that your worth is your appearance, you know, and that's how you will be judged and that's how you'll be interacted with. So my father wasn't so much uh, uh, disliked my me being plus size. He was just fearful that I won't be able to have the same experiences in life, that I wouldn't be able to enjoy the world the same way as everyone else because I was limited by my appearance. And that you end up believing. Um, and I think that's something I end up believing. And I think it took for me quite some time to understand that not only is worth not an appearance, but my worth comes from many other places. And I think that's why I pushed so very hard to be outspoken or, or loud when I enter a room. I, I hate, I hate the idea of leaving a room and no one notices. That's something that always scared me. You know, you want to make sure you're present everywhere you are. And I think all that came from me desperately wanting to figure out what was my worth. Cause clearly it was an appearance. I was told that from day one. I think once I figured out what my worth was, once I declared it to the world, I think my father was able to grow in many ways and actually learn from what I was trying to to demonstrate and show. I think it, it worked on him. <laughs> some, some things work on people. And it really worked on him. I think he was able to not just see my own worth, but understand that worth comes from multiple places. And my father's an older man, and he came from a time when that just was a thing. Women were just pretty and at home to make dinner for the kids. And he had a long journey to come where he is now. And he is definitely in a better place now. I think I went on that journey with him. So when I found my own worth, I think he was able to see it in me. Do you think that you have proven your father wrong then in that fear that he had of you being able to have those experiences? Um. In some ways, yes. In some ways, no. You know, I, I still have a lot of, despite being so outward, you know, confident, or maybe I put, not I'm not maybe the way I put out put out myself into the world, I appear confident, but I'm, I'm still a, in some places, I'm still a little Shona who's scared of being looked at, and so sometimes I do maybe restrict myself and myself and don't want to go out and fear what people will say or still little fears that hold on to me once every like six months will kick in and I'll stay in the night I shouldn't. But yes, I think in every other way I've just I've proven him wrong and I've proven myself wrong because that's the biggest thing is I believed him. I believed everyone and I thought I wouldn't have any of this. I thought I wouldn't have a boyfriend who loved me 
truly for who I am, which I trust that my boyfriend does, and I that I wouldn't love myself for who I am. And I really, I do. I've come to to be happy to be in my shoes, despite how sweaty my shoes can be. <laughs> um, and yeah, that's, um, you know, my voice, I'm happy to have a voice that people want to hear and I enjoy the conversations I have and everything that I've become. I think neither he or I, we both feared that wouldn't happen because we both listen to the world and believe them. And that's why maybe I want to be me and do what I want to do is just a, a one more voice out there that's, you know, making sure someone can perhaps hear it and know that they are allowed to be not what they're told their limitations are, but something different. I didn't make sense that that sentence was poorly, poorly planned out. That's what happens is when I get very talkative, I have four separate subjects and things I want to say, and they're all battling to come out first. And sometimes they all end up simultaneously in one sentence that makes no sense whatsoever i know that feeling i that's even been part of the podcast and listening to myself i go oh my gosh i <laughs> sound i'll stumble and i'll sound like an idiot but <laughs> i think that's what it is I, is that i always want to try and explain what i'm explaining by giving context and background so i'll go down a path and i'll go wait a minute in my mind you first need to know this thing, and then you need to know it. And so that's exactly what happens with me. Yeah. So I, but I, I have to say, I like how you do, like how you talk. So that's maybe why I'm like, he does a good job. But it's also my technique. <laughs> yeah. Well, then, then we kind of are on the same page then, which is good. Even if no one else understands what we're talking about, <laughs> I've gotten so far a lot out of this, and I'm, I know I'm going to get more out of it. So even if it's just totally selfish, I'm, I'm fine with that. <laughs> But, okay, uh, good. <laughs> but I'm curious to know when your uh, dedication to becoming an artist began. Your first degree is in psychology. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. And you've always done art. And from what I read, it was something that you never really kind of considered. It was just almost something that you did. What was the pivotal moment that really changed all of that and took you down this path? You know, I sometimes, I, I've been bizarrely lucky that I feel like I've just ended up here, but clearly, you know, that's not a thing. But I, I was applying to graduate school for a master's in psychology, and I just couldn't, I don't think my brain was in the right place. I also don't think I had the right grades to go to a great school. Everything didn't feel exactly right. I love psychology, but I'm not someone who's very good at sitting in one spot and studying. I'm, I can sit for 30 hours straight and paint, but I can't sit for six hours or five hours and read something. I, I may have a bit of ADD. Um, but you know, I, and my father said, what if you just take a year off and maybe do that art program that your undergraduate offers? I said, that sounds like a blast. Why the hell not? And so I did it just as a breather until I really went back on that psychology path I thought I was going to be on. And then a professor took me aside, Joe Wardwell, and he may not remember, but he said, that painting you just did is quite good. Have you ever considered graduate school? And it, I, I think I was just so very excited that someone saw some something in me Maybe I was just waiting a bit for that. I didn't, no one had, it wasn't something that I, I don't feel like I stood out anywhere else. And then I entered this 
program full of people who I thought were all warm and exciting and had a great conversations and wanted to see the world I, the way I wanted to see it. And someone asked if I wanted to join and it felt like just a great idea. So I kind of feel like I almost didn't ask for it. Things just pushed me in that direction. Is that all he I said? Don't know. Was that's all? It was just one little sentence. It really, it oh. wasn't even. I remember where we were standing. It was just like on the outside of the classroom. I doubt he remembers it because I don't think it was a very big moment for him. He was just like, "Hey, Shona, have you thought of grad school?" But I just, I remember that moment. So I mean, I probably made it in like quite grandiose in my brain. It was actually like three words, and he like actually, I don't know, probably wasn't as great. It was as it is in my mind. But it feels like this big moment, and it was all—that's all it took, really. Almost that permission, and then, in a sense. Yeah, that. Yeah, it really was, because I always loved art the most. I, I, I had to debate with my parents, but when I graduated, I walked with the fine art students and not psychology, because that's the group I wanted to be with. But it would just—you don't become an artist, do you? That was kind of the thought I had. No one who's an who's really an artist. Art was just that thing I did, but turns out I wanted to be an artist but also I didn't know what art making was I I went to RISD for my MFA and boy do I recommend that that program I don't know if everyone had the same experience I did but from walking in when I I knew that I enjoyed making art but what does art mean what does it mean to make art I really feel like I learned that at RISD I learned that with my peers and my exceptional professors and the classes I took and the classes I taught and I really feel like I came out, I mean, I came out not having an answer, but knowing that there were even questions to ask. So I don't know, it all feels very right. And also I'm a, a biz, an annoyingly intuitive person. I, I all, all too often my solution is just trust your gut. And I've just been trusting my gut. And I think I've got a, it's a nice jolly one, but a jolly gut. And it, it tends to have the right answer sometimes. It's maybe why I make so many sculptures about my belly. Um, it's because it's led me here, both figuratively and literally. How much do you attribute to your development as an artist, that program? Because there seemed to be a turning point because you went from doing oil paintings to watercolors and now these sculptures. And it almost seems that it just kind of in the past, especially the past, like last year, I guess, when did things kind of blow up and really just, where was this kind of turning point within all of it? But turning point in with me emotionally or with my career? With or? your sorry, with your uh, with specifically your art, it it seemed to maybe evolve very quickly. And I guess yeah. I'm curious to know if you attribute that to going to RISD in that program, or maybe well, some. First, yeah, I, I, I'm sorry for misunderstanding. I only I forgot the beginning of the question. By the time you said the end of the question, <laughs> it's just my brain. It's just a pain. Um, I deal with it all the time. You should see how much it frustrates my boyfriend every three sentences when I mainly don't know what he just said. Um, I well, started at Brandeis University. That was my undergrad, and that was a very similar program to RISD. So I think it all – it started at Brandeis, and then it went into RISD. Um, but, yeah, I, I, tr I completely give credits to them in so many ways by – being just staffed, the, all the faculty, they're just so desperately wanted me to be myself. I mean, what, and that's really what it felt like. So I, by the time I got to RISD, 
I knew I enjoyed making art, but I wasn't too sure what yet. And it's when I started painting plus size women and they weren't, I couldn't in any way acknowledge they were me, but I was like, yeah, I'm just interested in plus size women. Not me though. Um, and that's when sculpture came along when I was like, darn it, maybe it is about me. But I, I think it was just the, the first time I was surrounded by people like me. You know, I just went home for the first time in a year back home to Paris and I saw my friend, my family and my high school friends and boy, am I intense. I've, I hadn't really noticed cause I haven't stepped out my studio in the past couple months I am a high energy, very passionate person. I feel like everything I say is very emotional and very strong. And I am not always very good at just silly little thing conversations. I can be a bit much to handle. And I think that level of intensity is something that I very quickly found in artists. And it all began at RISD. I was just surrounded by some of the most spectacular people I've yet to meet. Um, so, yeah, they just encouraged me to be me. And I it was at a time when I just wanted to find out who that person was. And it came together perfectly. And I don't know if every program does that. I don't think it does. I really do think RISD is special. Exceptional professors and great, just really passionate students. And they're so open and kind. They they don't tear you down. They're only there to help. They want you to know that you have more to give and not that you're not giving enough, but there's so much more uh, for you to do. And I just listened to them and believed it. So that sounds like a pretty like a special moment to kind of be in that, that space, especially oh, yeah. as an artist. And being an artist, there's a lot of fragility around it. And it, I think a lot of people probably don't realize how easy it is for an artist to just be totally crushed and just stop altogether yeah. and it's definitely and a fight so having that I'm sure is absolutely and not everyone I know has my I think I came at the right time and I also met the right people my best friend Danny Farrell and my boyfriend Stuart Landry and two of I mean they're so deeply they're as I, I always I tell both of them they're like woven into my my internal self like they are just both parts of who I am but I don't know if everyone will always get that opportunity everywhere they go. I just think I've been lucky, you know. Sometimes you're, I've not always been lucky, but I don't know. It all started when I adopted my cat, Bo. Everyone needs to adopt a cat. <laughs> I adopt him, and then from that moment on, everything started going great. I got into RISD. I met all these important people. My practice became what it is now. Ah, magical cat, I say. What kind of cat is it? He is a tuxedo cat, so he's always ready for a fancy party, and he's very fluffy, and we're very attached to one another. He's an exceptional man. So that's the lucky charm mm. right there. That's the lucky charm. And he was a little rescue cat. He was scrawny and had two hair two hairs on his tail. And the woman was like, I don't know. He's not that great of a kitten. I was like, he's mine. And four years later, he's this big puffball of love and cuddles. What is his name? Bo. Bo. Bobo. So everyone needs to get a bow. Everyone needs a bow. <laughs> <laughs> so w you seem to receive a lot of attention from your work being part of the NSW female gaze at the Museum of Sex. How did yes. How did that come about? That's because that's where a lot of the writings that you have on your website, the articles and stuff, yeah, began. 
you know, seem to be associated with that. So how did that mm -hmm. happen? Well, so Alison Zuckerman curated me into the so an exceptional artist who everyone should go find, uh, check out. She is, I believe, one of the most, in my opinion, one of the most important emerging artists of today. She curated me into the Spring Break Art Fair of 2017. And just because we follow each other on Instagram and our work seemed to speak to each other as much as we did. And she gave me a great opportunity. And from there, I think that's really the starting point from there. Uh, and and uh, the spring break, if anyone doesn't know, is a wonderful uh, part of the New York Art Fair. You don't have to be represented by a gallery. You don't have to pay thousands of dollars for a booth. You just have a deposit. You just have to apply and have someone curate you in. You can curate. You know, it's just a, a very, it's wonderful. And it's just very earnest, I believe. Where is that um, located? It depends. It changes often. But the past two years, it's been in Times Square in one of the big, big buildings. It's a whole floor. And it's so you, you see a lot of like not a lot of emerging artists or really great artists, but may not be represented by the biggest galleries or by galleries who can afford six to ten thousand dollar booths. These are just, you know, Alison Zuckerman, when she curated me in, we just had to pay a small deposit that we got back in parts after. And it wasn't that much money in the first place. And you just have to apply. And it's wonderful. And they always have a theme. And it's a, it's gotten, it's grown just enormously. And that, that really is where everything started. That's when, so this show, NSFW at the Museum of Sex, is in collaboration with Vice. And I think Vice also noticed me then. And it just speaks, it's a show about women discussing their own experience with their bodies and their sexuality and all these different angles where that, I know how that came out and came through. And well, my work is very much part of that, is very true to that uh, theme as, it, as I'm often censored and, uh, and my work deleted. So it, it works perfectly. And uh, no, it was just a, an exceptional group of women. And it started a lot of interest in writing about my work. My work is, I always, you know, it's, I remember seeing uh, Mindy Calling, Calling, yeah, from The Office. And, and she, talk, she was talking about how often she gets asked, where do you find the confidence? And she's like, I can't take how much people love to ask me, where do you get the confidence to be a confident plus size woman? It's like, stop telling me that I can't be confident because I'm plus size. So I think people had a bit of that kind of interest in my work, like just a genuine. That's why it's been very nice to have this interview where your angle is nudity. But often people's uh, uh, interest in my work is much more in how does it how do does one become a confident plus size woman? And I think it's just a, a conversation that is very perhaps in need right now. And my work confronts that very uh, straight on, perhaps. And so it just started a wave of a very entertaining amount of articles from many different angles and places. I got one on Barstool, which is a apparently a, a very conservative or, I don't know, uh, angry, angry platform where they wrote a mean article about my work where they pretended to imagine what each one of my sculptors' lives were. And they're all like Walmart employees and they're all fat and sad. And uh, I absolutely love it. Yeah, because, you know, it. it's a logical thing to think that people who are plus size can't be happy. 
Exactly. You know? <laughs> and so they were just, they hated, they, but the pleasure I got out of it, like that's the, that was the first time I got a negative article, but the idea that someone took the time to write this article out of just the anger of the potential of a, a happy plus size woman or a seemingly content, even for an instance, plus size woman, I don't know, made me think maybe I am at least saying something that's being understood because he seems pissed. Yeah. And I kind of like that. I just have enjoyed how many ways they're, you know, how it's affected people. Some people just want to know what it feels like to be me or a plus size lady who makes art or a plus size lady who's wants to be na naked or, and here's this guy who wanted to analyze that in a negative angle. And I enjoyed it. I feel like it gave me some, a little bit more fire or fuel under my wings. What has been one of the best reactions you've had to your work? Um, they tend to just, they tend to be when people send me messages. I receive many really touching messages about how women see themselves in my work. To say there's one the most touching, I don't know. They're all, they almost can't stand out because I, they all ring a similar note. Um, I don't know. God, I feel, I mean, from like 16-year-old girls who have to write, uh, one girl had to write an article about any art piece in the world. Not an article, a paper about one art, one art piece, and she picked my sculpture at the Museum of Sex. And I thought that was a particularly thrilling moment. The idea of like a 16-year-old girl who had a completely different life as I did, different, grew up in a different part of the world, and we different everything, really. And she picked Nora, my fat sculptor who's twirling her pubic hair in the middle of the museum of sex as the one art piece she wanted to talk about that maybe stands out the most that was very touching wow yeah to yeah. Ha have that response you are reaching people on so many different levels and so many different walks of life i'm sure that has to be incredibly gratifying definitely yeah and i'd say yeah i'm you know, that trust your gut, like every time one of those things happen, I'm like, maybe, you know, it gives me a bit more confidence to trust myself. And I was, when I teach, when I have taught, I always tell my students, you know, it's good to, to rely on each other and to ask me for help. And, but one day you'll be alone in your studio and all you will have is your gut and you have to work. You have, it doesn't just happen. You have to work on learning to listen to yourself. And when, when do you listen to yourself? And, and how much should you, or just that you should in general, most people are just told not to. And uh, I think I've spent some, because I've been so alone for so long, I've gotten a lot of opportunities to do that. And I think, I'm, I don't even know why I'm saying this now. I'm so, uh, I'm everywhere. I'm literally taking notes of every question you write. I have a pad and paper in front <laughs> of me, and still I get distracted. You should I mean, just trust your gut. Say whatever you want. That's <laughs> Nice one. <laughs> Nicely done. <laughs> no, it's, no, it's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm saying that seriously though, too. You know, I, I, whatever, whatever comes to you and whatever you want to express, I'm extremely open to, to hear. I, you know, I, I love the I know, but, candidness, you know, I would, but I do this thing where I get like annoyingly, I think I try to inspire myself. So I get a bit like kitsch inspirational <laughs> just look into the sun and know that you're right yeah i have to like not catch myself saying things like that well it is really difficult i think to balance those two things where there is an element that is 
very much a romantic and you know like you're saying you know trust your gut but at the same time some people it's very difficult to know when it's your gut that's speaking or when it's these even these emotions that you're talking about of social pressures that are incredibly negative and oppressive so how do you differentiate between those and i think that's a that's a very difficult place to find and i don't know maybe maybe you even could comment on that if if you if you know what is the difference between your gut and what is the difference between these emotions that are lying to you hmm. my instinct i think for so long especially if you're a woman is don't at first trust your gut <laughs> at first don't because well and i actually just heard a sentence somewhere so i read it i think a don't remember where I read it, but something like the first thought you have in your mind is what you were taught and brainwashed to think. But the second one is the one, you know, that is from, you know, from who you are. And I kind of do almost believe that, you know, like women are taught to be apologetic and silent and careful with our words and ladylike and not bothersome. Make sure no one's uncomfortable. Make sure you don't, you know, stay in your place. So I think for a long time, women's instincts may do be to do that or to feel like they've somehow wronged if they are doing something different. And I think once you understand that, once you understand that you are pre, like you've been told for a long time to stay quiet, once you've understood that, then start being loud and then start following your gut. Um, yes, that's how, yeah. That's why I think so many people don't entirely understand why the Kardashians are as bad as I think they are. And I'm sorry to bring that up, but they seem to be everywhere. And I just think they represent so much of the negative today, just, you know, being celebrities and being so f made, sculpted by doctors and what they put out into the world. I think for so many, these women sound exhilarating and they're so fun and they're loud and they're real. And then it's all very time, vapid. So well. vapid, but so many people who I I really care for and are smart people enjoy them, and it baffles me because they do. You know, I was taught. I always see. I see things as ripples. What What are the ripples you call you leave on this world, or that that you cause? That have, you know, what do you do, and how have you affected the world? And their ripples have only been negative. They may be fun for a minute, but the damage they've done, the ripples they've caused are not going to have done very little good to women and men out there. And I don't know if I many agree. people understand that moment and understand that, uh, that, that difference. And I think that's a bit for me, the same thing as when do you follow your gut and when do you know how to do it? It's when, I don't know, when you stop seeing things like that as something that you should be listening and looking at and that's acceptable. <laughs> I, think too you know and it's you know i don't want to be unfair so to say towards the kardashians um because it's <laughs> i think they more so are very symbolic towards exactly. what is very wrong with in our society and how we operate you know culturally i i so i think any kind of criticism towards them isn't necessarily just limited sort of to them or i think they more so operate as something representative rather than Absolutely. it just being they're horrible people because 
they could be amazing people for all I yeah, know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they could. That's why I don't want to say they're good or bad, but what are your ripples? Yeah. You know, because I'm sure they're very nice. And I want to say, I've never watched an episode. I don't even know why they're on my mind right now. I think they've, maybe I've seen them on social media a couple I've times. I've actually never the past seen an episode days. either. <laughs> Me neither. So this is not be, this is not, I don't think of them that often. I'm just thinking of them right now. But they do really feel like this epitome of what makes me angry for people, what makes me, you know, sad. They they make me very sad. <laughs> Especially because when, it's what we're asking for as exactly, kind of as a whole. Exactly. And that to me is almost the most sad part in all of it. I know. I don't know. But, you know, as long as there are so many people whose ripples will slowly combat theirs, but they are very loud. They're very rich. I mean, mm-hmm. the youngest is a billionaire. That's disgusting. Yeah, that is kind of anyway. crazy. Yeah, so yeah. then that's part of the thing, too, is like a person, especially, say, you, trying to create what you do and it trying to have substance and meaning and it's something very personable, uh, personal and there's an extreme vulnerability. Uh, you know, I, I'm sure it's safe to say that. Um, having what you do and what little attention it gets, you know, compared to <laughs> something like, you know, the Kardashians where like mm-hmm. we were saying it just lacks so much substance and it just becomes, it's like eating sawdust, you know? Yeah. It might make you fool, but yeah, there isn't anything there that you can really hang anything on. And <laughs> that's where, when I see your work, it's just very exciting that it's something that's shocking, but it's not made to be shocking specifically, you know, like you're, you're not absolutely. Oh, it's made me think of something. Um, a lot of what is shocking are things you're just not used to. You know, you haven't, anything will be shocking at first when, you know, you've never, a a new smell will be shocking, even though it's amazing. Everything can be shocking if you've yet to experience it. So think a big part of what is needed is to just make things feel less, new and taboo and that's what that word comes from is things that you don't know and makes you uncomfortable and so putting consistently this kind of image out and the non-kardashian which is made to not make people uncomfortable in that manner but put out images that perhaps make you uncomfortable because you've yet to see it or you've yet to really spend time considering why this makes you uncomfortable um, that's a big one for me. The word, the word uncomfortable has become very important to me. I, I experienced it a lot recently, how I am increasingly fed up with people's discomfort over things. I think I've already brought it up. And how people find true validity in, the, in feeling that because they're uncomfortable about something, that has any form of importance. Like that because you're uncomfortable, that's something we need to care about. And how many lives have been completely shattered and ruined due to discomfort. And I think my work is increasingly unapologetically uncomfortable, both for me to make and for me to pose for or create and for others to experience. But it's not meant to be confrontational. It's perhaps made to be a bit uncomfortable. But once you've come to terms with it, once you've spent a bit of time with it, it no longer may feel as uncomfortable. That's the ultimate goal. How did you reconcile that? uncomfortability in the beginning by acknowledging that it was there and just pushing through it 
I remember the first time I used an actual picture of my naked body in a critique at RISD. That was the first time I did it. And I was lying down on the floor, almost hyperventilating. I mean, feeling genuinely nauseous because I just was so nervous for my fellow peers, my peers to see my naked body and see my breasts. That was the big one. Oh, my God, they're finally going to be seen by everyone. And then within a minute and the crit, I could not care less anymore. I'd, I had been through that initial deep discomfort, and then it turns out everything is exactly the same as it was right before. Um, and that was like such a learning, a big moment for me. You just can't. Discomfort, as I said, is not reason enough to not do something or to not allow it to happen. You just have to just put yourself in it and then you figure out how to do it after. And that's how I did all of this. I mean, of course, making a sculpture of me naked next to my boyfriend was just the most uncomfortable idea ever. The idea of people seeing how floppy my belly was next to his abs and and all these things that I knew would be so clearly different one next to the other and it was going to be so uncomfortable for me to make and then see and then have the fear of my boyfriend being like, yeah, that's exactly how big your belly is. That was like another fear I had. And then when he said, yes, that's exactly how big your belly was, by that time I'd spent two weeks sculpting it. I loved that belly. It was lovely and it was soft and looked like a slope. And I no longer was uncomfortable because I had spent enough time around it. So it's just time and a slight amount of bravery. That being able to overcome that moment, like where you said you were afraid about how big your belly would look, especially when you had it contrasted with him, and growing to love it, and then even giving getting that uh, that affirmation that yes, that is how big it is. How did you? I guess, what advice would you even give to people who are in that situation to transition from that fear into being not just accepting, but actually even loving it? Hmm. It's such a hard one because sometimes I hate my belly, <laughs> like hate it more than anything. And sometimes I find it quite charming. So, you know, it's, there's no one solution, but I... I don't know. I think it's a bit of anger. My professor, Kevin Zucker from RISD, would always ask me, do you even have a mean bone in your body? He asked me that for two years. And I, I was like, yeah, no, I, I mean, I do. And I, But everyone laughed and said, Shona, you don't. Like, I'm, I'm not particularly, I wasn't particularly loud about being angry or having any negative emotions. And then one day, I think, just fed up because I was angry. I am angry about a lot of things. I'm especially angry now with what's happening in the world and our messed up government and how people are being treated and how lives are being destroyed over such petty, petty human beings. And I'm, I'm angry for women. I'm angry at men. I'm also angry at women and I'm angry for men. I'm just all this anger in the world. And I think once I allowed myself to take in more and feel more, I was able to not be limited by fears I had. I don't know. It's hard to, by fearing, allowing myself to enjoy what I looked like because I was told I was not allowed to. Then one day I got mad that I constantly did that. Why am I living a life dictated by other people's views of myself? What a stupid thing, you know? 
comments I read on articles that were written about my work about how fat people should die off or whatever terrible things I've read. Uh, I recently received two delightful emails from a young man who decided to ruin my day. And it was something about how fat people are almost as gross as my sculptures. And also that fat people are unhygienic because we're too fat to wipe our own ass. And all that guy did was just make me more want to make my work. Like, screw you, dude. Like, don't go yeah. ruin my day because how I look and how I feel bothers you. I'm not going to do that to you. And you, But you have to allow yourself to be mad. And I think a lot of people aren't given the right to have a voice, so anger is not an option. You know, as a kid, if, my, if I ever got to fight with my dad, one thing that always annoyed me is when he was over his anger, I had to be over my anger. He was like, why are you still mad? We're over this. I still felt <laughs> so hurt, you know, I'm like, but that's not yeah. how my feelings work. And I think I carried that, ex that experience through my adult life. And then one day I just wasn't going to stop being mad because someone told me to stop being mad or I wasn't going to deny how I felt because I was told to deny him. And then once that happened, there's no turning back. <laughs> yeah. You can't go back to listening to people after you've gotten that, that, like frustrated i think that's it i i like women i've been increasingly loving loving an angry woman you know a, a loud woman a woman who walks into a room and doesn't apologize it's so darn hard to be a woman like that and it's so impressive to see because you just have to know how hard it was to be that type of person a lot was overcome a lot of rights she had to give herself and no one else was going to give to her to be that person in that room and I am seeking more angry women. I'm going to start an angry women's club. And it's not about going around being screaming, but about discussing these feelings we have and letting ourselves have the right to have them. I mean, it's been happening for a long time. I'm not going to say this just started now. Women, angry, you know, frustrated women have always existed. But I've only recently joined the club, and boy, do I love it. <laughs> well, that's yeah, amazing to hear. I think when as you were saying all of that it made me think of my wife and you mentioned walking into a room and almost being apologetic apologetic and I, I think in some of your other work or in other things i've read you've mentioned that before where it's not a, it's about being not afraid to draw attention absolutely yeah and i can see that my, I can see when my wife does that. And even to me, it's painful to see. It's very painful because, you know, I think she's amazing and beautiful and that she should be proud and, and confident. And you could see it in you know, her, her demeanor and the posturing and stuff like that. And I know we all do that. I know I do that as well. And it very, do, it very much does create anger. Like it makes me very angry. And I think justifiably so. And it's not at the other people. It's like, how dare you make me do this? But it's almost just a really a frustration even with myself when, you know, I do it and I go, why did I do that to me? Why did of I? Of course. Yeah. You know, and I, so I think when you were talking about yeah, anger, why did I let myself believe it? That's the big one. Why did I let myself believe what they say? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because yeah. there's so much bullshit out there. And yeah. I've very much don't want to buy into bullshit. <laughs> of course. So, yeah, how how dare I let myself, you know, even entertain that, let alone... And that's probably what, yeah, when you see your wife, you're probably like, I know who you are. 
I know what your worth is, and it pains me to see that in this moment you've forgotten. Yeah. In this moment, you've allowed other people's voices to take over yours, and that's where the anger comes from. It's not at her or any specific human being, but that you know that the that the world has cracked through a little bit in that moment, and that that's what's frustrating. Is because you know that she that's not what, who she is or who she deserves to be. She's much bigger than those small moments. And totally. it's just painful to see it happen in some in anyone, but especially those you care for. Yeah, absolutely. And that's where I think it's really difficult where some people will start directing it at people. And absolutely. And that's and that's is something that isn't justified either. And not to say that nobody is there isn't a level of culpability. You know, there is, but I, I think that's where the kind of a deeper understanding really comes in and is so important that this anger and this the the frustration to direct it towards one person or even one entity doesn't actually get to the root of the problem and of course, will yeah. just even i think make the problem even worse and yeah. the way that i think of it as the sort of the concept of the man you know and the mm -hmm. man so to say exists you know as like the corporate the man you know, how yeah. you'd say it, I guess, and like it started probably maybe in the 70s. It's like the man's got me down. And uh, yeah. and it very much is a real thing, but it's not made up. It's not a single person that said, you know what, I'm going to create this structure. It's a structure that exists because it benefits a group. And exactly. if, you can't, if you can't target that concept, then it's not going to go away. Absolutely. And that's, I mean, this brings me right back to that, what I was saying before about discomfort, you know, so many of people are uncomfortable or those who have uh, some power, it's uncomfortable to acknowledge that you have it and others don't. And, you know, I just recently had a conversation with a, a friend of mine who comes from a good family and she's a white woman and it made her very uncomfortable when I said that white women have privilege because she doesn't feel like she had privilege, but in that moment, I just wanted to cry out for how hard it's been for so many other kinds of people. How it never ends is the the the. It scares me sometimes when I think about it. Like the pain I felt in my life, how sad I felt for myself for being a plus size woman, and the very mean things that people have said to me in bad situations I've been in. I'm not going to undersell how bad some moments of my life have been, but that is nothing compared to what some people have experienced, how big that pyramid on the iceberg is underneath me and how deep it goes and how many different views there have been of people. I don't know. don't know why I'm getting there, but like the, I don't know why I'm saying these things. It's just the discomfort that people have to confront all these things it causes so much pain underneath us. And if we aren't able to see it and talk about it, then we who are, I am who I'm on top of that pyramid, despite how much I've suffered. Um, if I don't talk, then who is? And if I'm not going to be uncomfortable, then who's going to be uncomfortable? And if I'm not going to say it because I've been privileged enough to have a, a platform, then who is going to? I don't know. I just I feel like I have a lot of weight on my shoulders, both literally and figuratively, which has allowed me to be here. I'm, I feel it. Yeah. No, go ahead. No, no, no. I was. That was one of those moments where I got a bit overwhelmed there. Oh. I got I got a bit sidetracked, but I feel very passionate about these things. Oh, good. I'm, I'm glad that you're expressing those. Yeah. 
sorry. <laughs> no, Go ahead. Don't apologize. Uh, I'm curious to know with with all of this and with the I guess zeitgeist, so to say. Um, do you ever worry that your work will become too politicized? Yes. Yes. I think I've had a very a bizarre experience with my art. I, I do sell my art enough to live a bit comfortably. And I have gotten a lot of coverage on quite some big platforms from Huffington Post to CNN and Vice. But I'm having a very a harder time getting into shows and galleries. And I think that may be in part because I do, my work is uncomfortable at times and maybe a bit louder than others, perhaps. I mean, that's what I'm telling myself. I don't know if it's true, but I'm, I'm going to think it's that. But, you know, I, I can't stop that. You know, I've, that's the same thing as you have to come to terms with who you are. I'm never going to be someone who's not me. I will never not be able to feel so strongly and not want to talk about what I talk about. So if that means my work may be too politicized, then it may mean that for now it's just too politicized. I think I've, I, I accept things sometime. And I wouldn't want to change my art. I just need to change how people are around it. So for now it's too politicized and for now it's too politicized. But, you know, it's how people want to read into it. One day my body and my identity won't be so controversial. And then at that point, my subject matter won't be so controversial. It's just I'm at a time where a louder, fatter, hairier woman stands out. One day I may not – my differences may not be so so evident and my words may not be as shocking. So there – do you feel that your work, there's an element of novelty to it? My identity is not novel. I've, many women like me have existed before, but many, maybe not that many have been able to talk about it. So yes, I do think, I do think a lot of the reactions I get from women, not, this is not think, I know that a lot of the reactions I get from women is, I've never seen my body represented. I've never seen a body like mine represented. I've not seen, never seen breasts like mine represented or my butt like that represented. So I do think I have, uh, I am lucky to have not had a long history of my exact type of representation pushed out and pushed out there. I mean, but how could there have been? Women have only been making art for so, women have only been allowed to make art and put out art for so long. So that means there isn't as a very big history of women making art about themselves because we haven't been that many. And now we are increasingly, and there's so many of us, and it's an exceptional time to be a woman making art. Um, that's why I'm so, again, very lucky to be timely. But you, my feelings have been echoed before. With this sort of novelty, and I'm, and I don't mean a novelty in a negative sense either. No, I don't. Uh, not at all. I understand. A lot of what we're talking about has to do with human beings and seeing that they're multidimensional, and this is kind of how I I think of it. So I actually went went to school for philosophy, and so a lot of these ideas and stuff that I I try to get out, I try not to be use overly philosophical terms because I think it can. I can lose people very easily, but, um, or people just don't care, but kind of curious to know if 
you think that your work could be reduced down to something that's a gimmick. Now, I personally don't think it is that way. I think it holds a lot of substance, and I hope I hope I ex- have expressed that. But with the, you know, the, like I said, the spirit of the times, and with how political a lot of these subjects have become, do you ever get upset when people are attracted to your work for just this one mm-hmm. dimension oh, and absolutely. miss sort of the rest of it? Because the way that, oh, you know, completely. I think anytime we reduce human beings down to merely something, then that is where a lot of these, this pain and the frustration and uh, of being human kind of come, comes from. We become just these sim- symbols that are relatively meaningless. You know, we mentioned like the Kardashians, you know, they become just this very one-dimensional thing when in reality as human beings we're incredibly complex and there's a lot of depth i just didn't know if that was a worry for you at all that your work would oh absolutely no well very well phrased thank you that made me easier for me to answer uh yes as, as i was saying i think a lot of the questions i get tend to be a bit you know the interviews tend to be around how how does one become fat and confident and not an insulting way but there's a bit of that tone of like as we all know, it's hard to be, it's, it's almost impossible to be fat and confident. How did you, what are the tricks to get out of it? How did you do it? Yeah. And I don't mind answering those questions. I think they're important to be answered now and I'm happy to talk about it. But it is true that when I say I want to speak to women as a whole, I do want to speak to women as a whole. And I, I don't see myself as a plus size artist. I see myself as a woman who makes art, who talks about her identity as a way to discuss many things that interest me and many things that I want to, you know, dig into and have conversations about. And I do feel that at times, and maybe it needs to just be this way because that's what, you know, that's how my body currently stands out. That's my, that's my otherness is the large, how big my body is and how much space I take up. And that may be how people, can only see me for now because that's how I am different. But yes, I, you know, I really do. I love that's, but to be, to be honest, that's how other people want to impose their views onto my art, how people react to my work. The women who tell me, thank you for what you've done, or thank you for, you know, starting this conversation. They're not, they're, they're rarely or not always plus size. It's a women of all size and, type that reach out to me and when people empathize with moments that my sculptures are going through it's not because they recognize the belly but it's because they understand what that woman feels like in that exact moment what is she doing when she's in the toilet brushing her teeth you know what what do you think about at the end of the day when you're trying to multitask to you know brushing your teeth and and peeing this is something we've all experienced amusingly and honestly you know we've all been there at the end of the day and it's all of us who feel it. And it's not just been plus size women. So I think, I've, yeah, it's just two different ways of being experienced by the world. Yeah, because the reason why I asked that question is reading about you, that's always the first thing that pops up is plus size, plus size. And my reaction yeah. personally is I get kind of a 
a little bit annoyed by that. And I, I kind of saying that sort of as an understatement, I kind of am personally even like a little bit offended by that. And I'm just was curious to know if it's something that no, kind of irks so. you a little bit, because the way that I see your work is in, in I understand not everyone necessarily thinks like this and maybe it's just because I identify as being an artist, but I see your, your work as incredible art. And that to me is the most interesting thing. And the fact that it's plus size, I almost kind of couldn't really care less, which I I get it. That's not how, where most people are. And I, I, like I said, there is a novelty to it in a positive way. And I think it's where it stands out, but almost that if, if that's how, if that's all you're seeing it as, I couldn't help but get the impression that there's so much more beyond this and even something that you're trying to say that I was, I'm just kind of was curious to know if that was something that bothered you and really, well, that I guess makes me you, very happy to hear. <laughs> Thank you for that, because that is how I would want my work to be seen. And that's how I think it is seen by many and those who matter, but I think as a whole, I, my because yeah, but I do thank you. Well, that's all I have to say. Yeah, oh, that's you're, you're lovely welcome. to hear. Yeah, no, thank you for for making it. I I think it's it's <laughs> inspiring to me, and I'm not plus size, and I'm not a woman, but <laughs> but well, I find know, it to be very in, inspiring. <laughs> of course, I know. I once I was at an opening, and I was talking to a man about uh, about my work. And he was he was able to empathize with it when I talked about that feeling when you're walking down the street and you've had you know a great day and everything's worked out and you're feeling pretty good about yourself and then you just catch you catch a glimpse of your, like your reflection in a window and suddenly you're hit with seeing yourself as like an an object or an image and you're reminded you're taken out of that just feeling like yourself and put back into like, Oh wait, yes, I'm a person on this planet as a person. I'm this, 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 and this. And because I'm all of these things, I have to feel this one way, you know, like you can be having a great day and you see yourself, you're like, Oh shit, I'm a kind of disheveled today. Ugh, that, that's kind of gross or, Oh fuck. Like I forgot every, every that. Every day for me. <laughs> yeah. And you know, and, and we all feel it for different reasons. For yeah. me, I see my fat body. I'm like, shit, I'm not supposed to feel beautiful. I'm fat or, you know, and uh, women of color will see their col- their color and be like, oh, shit, I live in this world where I'm told I have to be this specific kind of person because of, you know, all these different things you're told that you are because of how you appear to the outside world. And when you see your reflection, you're confronted with others and not just yourself, but you're confronted with how others see you. And that's a lot of what I think my work is about, not just being plus size, but just those moments when you're just with yourself, when you've, you don't have a mirror and you're not looking at yourself and you're not seeing yourself through the eyes of others as an object and a person, but you're just, existing. Uh, you're just existing. Exactly. And when you're just existing, you, for those small moments, you are kind of free from hearing anyone's voices and that's what i am so appealed by and i've desperately tried to to achieve for myself and when it's true when it when it's just brought down to your plus size and you're confident how do you do it you know i you know it is not everything i want my work to be and it is a bit frustrating but you know it's a hard one to maneuver 
because of course it is part of what I do. I am plus size and my work obviously discuss that and I can't deny it, but it was just a way in, which is why I will very, I, I want to, and I'm, I've been working on it and figuring out how to bring other people into my, into my practice is for so long, it was my own imagination and my own body. But I do think that when I start understanding how to use a variety of bodies, I will no longer be as pigeonholed and as much of a plus size artist. Well, I think your work is incredibly universal. And what is really at the heart of it is something that I believe most people, it's have the ability to relate to it in that it's, it's extremely accessible. So I'm very curious to see where it'll take you. And also within this, I wanted to ask you and kind of, it's a little bit of a transition here, but nudity has in art has very much, there's a, there's a long history. And as we were kind of talking about when we, we first started talking in this conversation before I guess we really officially started the interview, I mentioned that there is something that's offensive about nudity and nudity in art and throughout throughout time, really. And I'm, I'm curious to know if you have any thoughts and perspectives, especially being an artist right now, looking back, if that's something that you, you think of, kind of what is oh, your opinion absolutely. and observations and stuff and even your work within history how do you see it? Oh, of course. Well, first of all, I like to jokingly, but not so jokingly, say that art history was the porn of history. You know, that was a medium that belonged to men, and it was a way for it was purchased by men. I mean, men typically, quite obviously, had the money and the abilities to. So it was very much made for the for men's eyes. So women's representation, they were just object. That's why the the concept of male gaze comes from. You know, the women were just portrayed as objects to be visually appreciated and taken in. You know, yeah, that's how that's their sole purpose. So I think that's why painting was so very hard for me when I started at RISD and beforehand. That I just could see that I was just creating more images and representation of naked women that I was doing for my own pleasure to enjoy. They were, I was, I wanted to create these pretty women and these pretty images of women that for me and for others. And it just one day hit me, my God, I'm just doing what everyone else is doing. How do I put out, how do I use nudity in a different way? How is it created not to, not to seduce others, but, uh, but, but as a, I don't know, but as something different. And that's, that's the question I struggled with. And I think that's when sculpture was so very important when I was able to make it dimensional. So no longer was it just a quick image of a naked woman, but actually a body you were given the opportunity to discover, you know, and as something that has genuinely, you know, a 360 ability, um, that isn't just you know, something you look at and walk away and think that was nice. Um, and I think that sculptor really was, you know, made me able to do that. And I think now with my paintings, my newer, my latest paintings, I've been really enjoying nudity without eye contact. It's something I consider a lot. I always thought that confrontation came with this 
you know, being yourself while staring at someone in the eyes, you know, like, look at me, I'm being me. And then suddenly I realized, damn it, every time I make eye contact, I'm, I'm, I am removing myself or the figure out of that moment with them. And it's become about someone else. It becomes an invitation and letting someone in. And I've begun to make women and naked women naked or, you know, in different stages of this robe, looking at themselves and not making eye contact, only looking at themselves and only experiencing their body, you know, for their own pleasure or for their own experience. So I've been enjoying that, that duality, at least in my current work, if that makes any sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, but it's been a struggle and I, it's a struggle for all, it should be a struggle. It needs to be anyone who is making representations of women today without considering that is failing miserably at, at, at nude, at naked representation or nudity. It's just a question you have to ask. There's too much history um, and that's also, you know, before we talked about how much we both enjoyed Matisse. Yeah. I mean, Matisse is a big one. My sculpture that's currently at the Museum of Sex is based on Matisse, Matisse's Odadisques. You know, the women were lounging in chairs with their arms over their heads. I just mimicked the position without even realizing I was doing it. Yeah. Um, they're always naked and they're looking right at the viewer and they're so inviting, they're calm, and they're so beautiful, and I was so appealed by those images, but they're so there to be enjoyed, which is why I enjoy them so much. You know, they're so round, and his patterns are just gorgeous, and you just want to take it all in. And then my sculpture is in a similar position, and a very similar armchair is one of my favorite uh, Matisse drawings, and she's twirling her armpit hair and looking up into the sky, so it's hard to make eye contact with her. She's in a similar position as Matisse's uh, Odadisks, but she's doing it naturally and for herself. It's a position I do quite often, leaning back, arm up on the arm of the armchair and head over my um, head. And I've just been also trying to recreate different representations of women, but making them, I don't know, actual moments in, re in my reality and what I assume other women also experience on their day to day. Yeah, you've, you, I know I've read you want them to be very real as opposed to have a sense of being posed. Yeah, absolutely. What, is there, what is the reason that is so important to you? Um, well, first of all, that's how I started taking pictures of myself. I don't pose, I just film myself moving through space or exploring my body, and then I screenshot a scene from, like a, a picture from that video. I think when you pose, you're again, when posing involves acknowledging a third someone looking at you, it's all about um, yeah. how you're being seen from the outside. That's just the, that's kind of the point of posing and removing that like accountability of someone else. Like I'm not doing it to be looked at. It took some time, but you know, you film yourself for an hour, at a certain point you will forget you're being filmed and you'll forget what's your best angle and boy, have like some honestly, some of the worst moments I've experienced is going through those videos the first time I made them, <laughs> you know, like, oh, I mean, shocking, shocking yeah. angles of my body that I had never seen, you know, and I was really getting comfortable. I was in my bathroom peeing and shaving my legs and just like doing things that I would do every single day, but I'd never seen it that way. 
And thank God I did it. If I had put a camera up and start clicking, never would those those genuine moments came. The latest painting I just painted is I have it's a painting of me sitting down and my arms are up in the air and I'm kind of looking at my armpit. And that moment came when I had tried. I was like, this time I'm going to pose and try to get something nice. And that moment came between two poses. <laughs> I just can't stick to poses. It was just a moment where I genuinely wanted to look at my armpits and see if I had shaved recently because I don't keep count. And it ended up being a delightfully, like, it looked like I was posing, but it generally was just me checking my pities out. Um, and I appealed by those moments so much more. And they're the moments that we all recognize, you know, everyone. Like, I, when I think back at smelling up my armpit, I think when I was, like, 13 or 14, a classmate of mine, Dimitri, was in class. And he, he was sitting in front of me, and he didn't think anyone noticed. He just raised his arm like nonchalantly and gave his armpit a big sniff. And I thought that was just such a funny, he was trying to be so chill about it. And that's what we all do though. Like it was funny to me because I knew what he was doing because I've been there. You know, that's what, that's why you all giggle at these moments is because you know exactly what's going on. Like that, that person's head. And so, yeah. Oh, that's, yes. That, that's great. I, you even saying that like the classmate and stuff like that, I can even, think of moments of myself just when I did something that should have been done not in public and not that it was something offensive but it was just kind of the eyebrow raises that it gets you know people going okay did you just do that you know and yeah, not that it's like I said not that it was like something gr like gross or anything but it was just yeah it's funny when those moments stick out but <laughs> and they really mark you and they really make you giggle it's when you feel you know, that's why tripping is funny because you've tripped. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's why, I mean, it's, it's funny for a moment to see what you look like when you fall. Um, not that tripping is that, you don't know, don't, don't want to laugh too much when people fall, but I have to say I giggle a bit. Yeah. As, as long as they're um, not hurt. Yeah. As long as they're not hurt, you know, like a fun, a little, like one of those trips where you don't fall, but you just like, you know. Yeah. You don't look graceful. Exactly. Like those are like my favorite because I'm consistently, I have the least graceful human being I've ever met. And so when I see it in someone else, I'm like, yay, me too, me too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Going back and, and thinking about Matisse, and like you said, there's something very inviting about his work, and it's very beautiful, and there's a sensuality, but it's not that it's about sex. And I didn't know if you had any kind of comments as far as, especially in relation to nudity and art history and stuff like that, how much of it do you think these artists were almost trying to create an idealized world to live in and say, hey, this can be this way, and it doesn't have to be this other way, so to say. Mm -hmm. You know, nudity is bad or it can't exist in the world. Um, I, I didn't know if that's something that you've, you've thought of at all. Well, I think, as I said before, I think nudity has changed so much in art. So what nudity means now versus... 100, 200, 300 years ago is just immensely different, as I said. Yeah, I mean, why nudity was captured before was to create an ideal. You know, that's why there was no other form of imagery. So it was this, like, revered, immaculate representation of humanity. And us at our, you know, our shiniest best at times... That's what nudity was portrayed as, especially with women. You'll see the exact type of woman that was popular in those days. And then I think with time, I think you just do that enough that just that, I mean, that's not why nudity is used now. You can't, 
possibly objectify human in that way. And so using it in today's world has to be careful and considered and aware of that. And I think it no longer can be just an ideal in the sense of this is what the world wants from a person, but more, as you said, this is how I would want the world to see a body. I think that's how now it should be used. It wasn't like that before. Now I think it's, it's not, it's, it's almost fighting how nudity was used beforehand. That makes sense. Like we're almost nudity today is almost at its core fighting how nudity was portrayed in the olden times. Are you saying that now it's almost become more weaponized? And you just have to be so more, so much more careful that there has to be a much deeper intent. And I think the intent behind nudity before was, as you was to create this beautiful ideal, this lovely body, a desire or yeah, this imagined representation of a person. Versus now, a body is not just a body. We have understood the history of what it means to be in a body. So we can't just portray just any kind in just any way. You have to be very, very aware. If I start painting, you know, or sculpting black women, I have to be very careful with that. There's a very specific history of black bodies and nudity and how women's bodies were used. And I have to be very careful as much as I have to be careful when I paint as a white woman's body, but there's a different history to that. And now we're aware of it. So the, the it's less of even considering that there's any form of ideal, but just opening the doors to anything can be. I'm getting lost in my own words. That's okay. But I, yeah, it's a hard one. Yeah, no, it, it the is the word a hard ideal because the word ideal is such a hard word to consider because I think the ideal of, you know, when painting was so critical is very different than one from now and what nudity represents now. Yeah. No, but I do absolutely. think you're right. It is weaponized a bit more. I, I do. I would want at least just because, you know, we understand, I think we just understand more from the, of the thought. We understand more from the world now. So we understand what the consequences of each actions are versus that's maybe not the intent of art in the past. Well, I think it almost has become more, you know, said weaponized to use that, to kind of use that phrase is, for yeah. consistency. Unfortunate word, yeah. Yeah, I almost think that it probably relates to the fact that creating has become so accessible to everybody. So, which yeah. is a, a positive thing in one regards, but I think this is the flip side of it, is that this democratization, so to say, and this... Uh, the fact that, for example, the internet is a platform that anyone can get on and anyone can do anything from the most beautiful things to the most horrific, extreme things that I can't even fathom to a degree, that it's allowed this, that technology levels the playing field and allows everyone to have a voice. And that when... So this is the downside of democracy, as good of a thing it is. The masses rule. So if everyone yeah. just wants to see everything, as we've said, in this one-dimensional way, they can all promote it. And promote it in a way where, and I don't think a lot of people think of this, that quantity is its own quality, so to say, in our minds. 
that if enough people say it's okay and that this is the standard and it's good, then to a degree, we almost have to question the legitimacy and go, well, yeah, I, I guess it kind of is. So when you give a platform to people who really don't care about uh, that dimensionality and are really just trying to promote something that is very self-serving, I kind of feel, and this is just my personal opinion, that this is the sort of situation where we put ourselves in where we're seeing this weaponization, so to say. And yeah. a lot of it, I think, comes from just, like I said, like I said the, the one-dimensional promoting uh, of what it is people want. Because I don't think most people care, really, that nudity is seen in something that's more complex. And this is something that I think about quite a bit. Um, I don't know. I don't know if maybe you have any kind of thoughts in regards to that. Uh, maybe that didn't make sense at all, but <laughs> just uh, maybe just it didn't make sense. Just let me repeat the question so I know where to start. Well, the, was, everything you said made sense. So yeah, it was. I, I guess I didn't. Wasn't really a question, more so than an observation. And I didn't yeah. know if it's something that you uh, would ag agree with in any way, or maybe you had a, a different perspective on all of it. I just, I, I just think especially doing this podcast, why would anyone want to see nudity how an artist sees it? And we're talking about art history and nudity with art history. We can use Matisse as a reference point for this. Why would anyone want to see the world as Matisse saw the world? And we would sit here and go, because it's beautiful. I yeah. don't think, though, that most people see the benefit in that. They say, well, how does that, how does that add value to my life? And our response would be, well, because it does, it's something good. It's something, you know, so most people, they, I think that there is this level of detachment to what we're talking about. And they say, why should I do that? Well, because it's better. And they go, well, I don't really see how that is better for me. I'm perfectly fine with just wanting to be around someone physically perfect. And I think men very much see it that way. I think there's a flip side that women will reduce men in certain aspects, whatever the situation is. I didn't know if you had a any kind of thoughts that would even be an argument to say why would why should people see it in this more dimensional way, like Matisse see it or like how you see it. I associate yeah. with that as well. But Absolutely. I didn't, I didn't well, know if you had a, a good argument. It's, it's something that I think about. Okay. I think it's. We get, that's why I think there's privilege to be an artist because we get to sit back and not in some ways, I mean, that's why people think we're so probably bizarre and odd and we maybe with our adult children so that we get to not take part as much as other people do with the everyday grind with how society is built. You know, I, we don't all have nine to five jobs where when we leave work at five, we just become just people again. I'm always an artist. You know, I'm, we get to experience it just a bit differently and look at the world just a bit differently and take the time to look at the world. And I don't think many people do get the time. You know, I think of my friends who may not be as passionate as I am about all the things I'm passionate about. But they may also just not have the time to be as passionate. They have other things to do and other ways that they have to fill their day. My life is very much dedicated to this. So when I take the time and slow down and think about 
what does it mean to have a naked body? It's or to show a naked body rather, or to portray it, or to have a discussions about the different ways a body is naked. Um, you know, it's, it is my responsibility to do it, and it's my responsibility, I think, in some ways, to start that conversation. And for people, and it's hard for people to understand that because they're they are in the grind. If they're you're not an artist, if you don't have the time to sit back, you're you're what we're looking at. And we, I think, as artists. That's why it's so beautiful to look through history and see and to know more about an artist, artist the context behind why the work was made. It's because you understand how deeply evolved it is with the time they're in. They really are just an observer in so many ways. And I feel very much, as I said before, I always felt like an observer of people and of bodies and of women. I always felt like I was looking at them from far. Um, and so... My view of a naked body will always be different from others because my brain will absorb it a different way and experiences it a different way because that's what I do versus other people. So when I put out a, a really, I know, a representation of a woman and of a body, how I've thought about it and how it's led me to here is so very different and it needs to be done. But it won't be appreciated. Of course, it won't be appreciated the right or the way that, for example, how you see my work, how touching that is to me, I understand why that would be hard for some people to see that. You know, many people, I can't even tell you how many people see my work and say that I'm promoting obesity, which, you know, of course I can perhaps understand why that's said. It's said to every other plus-size body. But boy, does it disappoint me, of course, when I hear that, because I would like to think there's so much more happening. I'm discussing a much bigger and grander subject, but that's not how people are taught to see bodies. And so their knee-jerk reaction is, oh, if she's fat, you're just talking about how fat she is. And it's not, you're talking about what it means to have a body right now, which is what I think I'm talking about. Um, but you know, the more I talk about it in this interview, every time I put out another idea, another painting, there's it's like a domino effect, two more dominoes fall that have seen it the way I want to see it. And the only way to do it is to persevere because there will always be that stupid bar stool article about writing about how my fat ladies are all Walmart employees or whatever stupid way they decide to minimize a much grander subject. But they will exist as much as the, the as much as you exist or the people that slowly understand where I'm getting, where I'm coming from. Real. I don't know if that was an answer. Uh, oh, it's it's great. I've, okay, okay. I've I hope that was answering. Genuinely enjoyed everything that you've said, I, and it's. I think one of the great things too about this platform that I, I'm excited about is it even gives people the ability to go back and listen and really let all of this kind of marinate. Going off of what you were just saying, I'm curious to know through this process what has sexuality come to mean to you beyond just the act of sex? Goodness. A wonderful thing. I'm very, and enjoy sexuality. I enjoy others. I love hearing about what they do and how they've experienced it themselves. I, I, it, it really is, it's almost like a sexuality almost becomes a contract with yourself and how you've decided to explore and enjoy your body that you're in. That's what it's been to me. You know, when I, I didn't understand sexuality as a kid, as I said, I 
as a teenager, I was never, I was always be, really believed I wasn't a woman and I wasn't going to experience things the same way others did. So I got some time to think about what did sex mean? And, you know, you, it's, it's, it sounds like it's an act, but it's not an act. It's not by act, I mean like an action or whatever. It's so much more. It's a, it's a moment where you have to discuss with yourself what your comfort is and what your body is and how you want to enjoy it. And, I, and boy, do I love that so much. And the more I've wanted to understand my body, the more I've been able to be sexual. And the more I've been able to be sexual, the more I've had to confront my body. And that's something so much bigger than I thought it would be. And that's why I want to discuss it with people. That's why I love talking about sex with my friends. I, a big, I worked at the Philadelphia's Magic Garden. It's an exceptional museum. And it, the staff is mainly women, which was a great experience for me. And, I re, and they're all beautiful, much more traditionally attractive women, thinner and all these things. And I realized that when I talked about sex, I was by far the most outspoken. I was saying things that made so many of them uncomfortable and I could tell that I was just more confident in my wording and more confident in just speaking up about how I experienced things. And I realized in that moment that it has nothing to do with what my body is. I, I would assume that because I'm I was I am fat, I would naturally be more uncomfortable with myself or less able to be um free. And when I saw these petite, thin women shy and never having really explored their own body or how far sex can go or realize how uh i don't know. where do you think that um, apprehension for them comes from or you know people in general but using that scenario as an example we all fear it we all fear being comfortable we all fear letting go of that breath we've been holding for so long that tells us focus on what you need to fix and not being in the moment. And I think we all are scared, scared. And I think that I really learned it in that moment. I really understood that these pretty girls that I spent my whole life assuming, well, they're going to be obviously comfortable. They'll get on top of the lights on no problem. And I realized, no, it doesn't mean you have a flat stomach that you automatically want to be naked in the light and how you experience how your body is going to be seen by others. That's not true. But I really believed it because that's what I've been told for so long. Wait till you're thin, Shona. You're finally going to walk around naked with a smile on your face. Turns out I didn't have to wait till I was naked. And also turns out being thin doesn't mean that you do smile when you walk around. Yeah. And all these lies become come out. And I think sex, sexuality and my sexuality and other people's sexuality is a way to, to really consider that and what it means I don't know. I just love, that's why my sculpture owes naked. And that's why sensuality and sexuality is in the air. Because what an exceptional things our bodies can do. Sex, it bewilders me that it's taboo. It is just, oh, it's here. a gift. It's a gift our bodies can can explore and, ex, and experience with someone. And it's, it should always be, understandably it's not always, but it, it can always be something so great and so exciting. And so, you know, a piece, I don't know, it's such a beautiful thing. And it, 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 it annoys me when people hold back and don't try new things or, or don't want to try or don't know they can try or don't know there is even a thing that you can try. I mean, the conversations I've had with women blow my mind. That's why I made a bunch of sculptures of 
women and I made sculptures and paintings of women looking at their vagina with a mirror. After Isn't talking that Alice, to, the name of that one? Alice, yeah. yeah. Alice was based on a friend whose name I won't repeat, but it's somewhat similar to Alice, so she may know it's about her. But she had removed all the hair from her body with lasers, so she'll never have hair again. And yet she had never seen her vagina. So I was like, my God, you really just did that to be looked at by a man. You didn't do wow. that for yourself. You don't know what your vagina is. And then I realized how many women spend thousands of dollars throughout their life shaving and waxing and getting their hair done. And it's not because they know what it looks like. It's always just for someone else. And I was like, God damn it. We don't look at ourselves. We don't know what we look like. We don't exist for ourselves really. And not, you know, men as well, but especially women, we don't exist for ourselves because we're so deeply objectified. Our, our bodies do not belong to us and our sexuality doesn't belong to us. It's at the service of someone else. And I've, uh, I've enjoyed finding out that's one, not true. Our sexuality is ours. Our pleasure is ours. Have sex for yourself. But also it's something to experience with someone. It's not someone to give, something to give to someone. I don't know. It's just been a, that's, yeah, it's in the air. Sex yeah. is in the air and it should be. Yeah. And, and I, have, I have very open parents. My, I, won't, I won't even start, but the number of inappropriate sexual things my parents have revealed about their own life. Not, I mean, not inappropriate in the sense of like, how could they, but just <laughs> they're, they're very chill and they're very honest about being humans who've, who've had comfort and discomfort and experiences. And so sex was always something that I understood as something you could, ex you know, I, I wanted it to be that way because I knew it was possible. You you saw it. Yeah, I saw it as something that could be experienced, not just something you do. And that's I've always been that way. I feel like I always knew there was more, but I couldn't get there myself, and I just desperately wanted it. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because that was actually a question that I had for you. And yeah, so I'm I'm glad that you mentioned that because I'm always curious to know what people's backgrounds are and how they kind of got to this point in relationship, you know, to those early experiences. So I think that's something really fascinating. But, you know, you were talking about those girls, especially that you were talking to and that you saw as being very traditionally pretty or thin and all these very positive associations. And like you said, you've been able to experience sexuality in a way that's far more enjoyable and even maybe shocking to some. And you're looking at them going, how have you not experienced this? It's fast. I mean, I know many women who only have orgasms if it's a man who gave it to them, who have not had an orgasm if it wasn't something that someone else gave to them. They have never masturbated or explored their body that way or found out that they can do it themselves. They are horny and frustrated until they, are, they find someone who could do it for them. That is always oh, shocking to me. Even before I was a sexual, like a very outwardly sexual being, I definitely figured out my own how to masturbate because, of course, it's my body. You should be moving your hands around. But so many women don't. I mean, it is baffling. And um, versus how many boys have you met that has never masturbated, who's only ever had an orgasm if a woman has given it to them? I, I don't mean, of course, know, it's yeah. different because <laughs> a, a, a man doesn't have that kind of, you know, 
boys don't really have the similar kind of uh, body, so it works differently. But still, I'm just, you know, yeah. same way how many men don't know exactly, who couldn't draw you a perfect drawing of their dick <laughs> versus, you know, how many women could draw a perfect representation of their vagina. And I yeah. know it's different. One is more hidden than the other. But, you know, they're both things that can be explored. You know, that's not. So anyway. Yeah. It's no, all very interesting to me. That's why, again, back to that first story you told of my brother, you know, when he and his friends always have their hand down their pants as a joke. You know, one one of his friends would scream one word and they would all, no matter where they are, what was happening, have to put a hand down their pants. That was so crazy to me because that's obviously not something a girl can do. So I used to look at it and be like, and it, it threw me in a loop. Like, why are they able to do it? I don't understand What's different between a man putting a hand down his pants and a woman putting a hand down his pants? You just anyway. Yeah, the double standards there, and I think there's also too a level of innocence in all of it that's very enjoyable. And I think a lot of people, this is something I think about, and I, I won't go off on a tangent, but sexuality and innocence can very much coexist. And innocence doesn't oh, mean absolutely. naivety. Which I think a lot of people think that yeah. those are the, they're they're the same thing, which they're not at all. And so, absolutely, I think sexuality is is very much can be very enjoyable, and not just in the obvious physical ways, but even in a very innocent way. That oh, completely, you know, absolutely, I love what you're saying. Yes, yeah, I I, I know we're kind of getting close here. I'm. And I don't want to take up your entire day. I could honestly kind of keep talking. So, <laughs> I'll I'll try to wind things down here and one of the questions that i have for you are what are some of your favorite books that's such a good question um i'm such an eclectic i'm an eclectic consumer of uh of of just about anything my first true love and a, a very my father was as a big big reader and I was the kid who used to get in trouble for having your lights on at 1 a.m. because she was still reading. Um, it was never for anything else. I was a, a, an, an embarrassingly mild child when it came to that. But The World According to Garp um, was something as a child that like blew. I was like 13 or 14. I don't know. Are thir- can you say you're a child when you're 13? Yeah, I think so. Does that? Yeah, yeah. okay, cool. Because I never know if I sound odd when I say child. Oh, yeah. The World According to Garp was um, kind of an eye-opening experience in a book that I've reread often through my life. Um, and then a lot of feminist and just very earnest books. Like I don't know if you've ever heard of How to Be a Woman. No. By uh, Kathleen was Moran. I only know her last name. Um, and it's just this woman describing the many ways that she has experienced through her life. And she had a very specific and she was a poor British child. Uh, that's how was her upbringing and just how she experienced her body and discovering how she was a woman. I think I've always deeply like craved those kinds of stories, filling my brain with others, other, other experiences of humanity was critical. Cause I felt so um, stuck in mine and limited in mine or how I was able to see the world at that time. Um, yeah, so How to Be a Woman was kind of like one of those books as well. Very eclectic. Um, but yeah, I would rec- I don't know if I even, I would recommend this book to many young women. 
because it's it's so relieving to hear someone else struggle and have the same struggles as you and figure out and laugh about it. Yeah, that you're that not a big alone. One. Yeah, that's why I think I started sharing every one of my problems. It's like I needed to laugh with someone about it. I needed to hear for myself that these things I'm suffering or experiencing are not as bad as I think or I'm not as alone and it's something I could come out of. So I, I think I've needed the culture I needed and the books I needed to absorb were all people laughing at my problems with me. I've needed to laugh with people. Um, so yeah, that's why I think the epitome of all those books is How to Be a Woman by Caitlin Moran. It just made me laugh so much at things that hurt me so deeply. So yeah. Yeah, those are great. I actually want to check those out because I did read that The Life According to Garp, I, I did read that that was one of um, the... <laughs> influential book uh to you so i definitely want to read that but um the other question is what are some of your what's some of your favorite music or bands or what what are some people or albums even that you go to consistently um i i grew up with old parents my dad is he's almost 80 and i'm almost 30 um so he had me at 50 and my mother had me at 40 so i grew up in a house where we had very little, very little in touch with popular culture. So I grew up watching Broadway musicals and listening to 60s music, thinking that was current. So <laughs> 60s music is current. What, really, what year were you born, yeah, if you don't mind me asking? In 1990. Okay. So a, a bit before my time. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So like, I mean, I was that weirdo who, when I listened to the Beatles for the first time, thought I had just discovered something awesome. <laughs> I, know, I know what you mean. Uh, yeah. Oh, awesome. Have you heard the Beatles guys? Uh, yeah. yeah. Like, it's so cool. Like one of my most, to this day, most embarrassing moments was the last day of history class in high school. And my history teacher was like, that's your last day in high school. I'll watch something fun. So we watched like a documentary about the Beatles and the song, Hey Jude came on. And I like couldn't control myself. I got so excited. I was mouthing it. And he's like, we get it, Shauna. You know the Beatles. <laughs> In front of the whole class. And I remember like my world crumbling. But like he completely You were read trying me. to I show remember... off how cool you were. Exactly. You knew it? I was yeah. like, I, I know this song, guys. Come on, it's Hey Jude. And we're all like, yes, everyone knows Hey Jude. But I was like, not in my household. We listened to like 10 albums all from that time. And this is a big one. Yeah. Um, but I'm still kind of stuck in those days. I have a hard time connecting with a lot of music of today. What's your favorite Beatles and album I, then? Oh, well, I mean, I kind of blew it, but Hey Jude, there's literally not a part of my body that could stay. I, I do become a child. Like I have to sing along. I get so passionate. I just saw Paul Simon live like a month ago. And oh, that wow. Was, like an unbelievable experience. My brother, it was my brother's birthday and he invited me. He got me tickets, which is totally my brother to get someone tickets for his own birthday. <laughs> um, but he's a very good, a good man, my brother. Yeah. Um, that was exceptional. So I do kind of, I do have that part of me that can't really adapt to now. That's a bit like all of that, that kind of music is all I ever want to listen to. I need to sing along to music. I want to feel that kind of connection. I'm bad at wanting to discover new music. I'm so deeply connected to songs that I enjoy. Yeah, so the Beatles, Paul Simon. Uh, oh. <laughs> who else? Who else? God, you're going to I feel so... No, I'm I love that music. So... <laughs> I, I My parents, one for one, one Christmas, got me a Simon and Garfunkel's Greatest Hits. And oh, I yeah, listened to that my... uh, 
I wore that CD out you if that's even possible. That, yeah. I'm that person too. I mean, Blondie. Oh my God, have I loved Blondie through my years. Yeah. I just have always lived. I, I'm always, I feel embarrassed by it because I can't. She told me who's my favorite artist today. That's a hard one. Cause I'm like, I don't know. I know Beyonce sings. Yeah. Um. Oh, I don't know. I yeah. don't know who is really around today. I, you know, <laughs> my, either. yeah, my oldest, I think is 13. And so I try to stay relevant. No, just so there's no point trying. Yeah. I I think part of it is just you know, you remember or at least I do when I was a kid and it's you see the, like the older people and they just don't seem to get it at all, like what's actually going on. And you never want to yeah. be that parent, but I think it kind of, of inevitably not. happens because you just start you just stop caring. And I think that's a positive thing in some ways, but <laughs> but uh no, so no I I'm with you on on that older music. I, I love it, and you obviously I love some modern stuff too. And no, of course, me too. Like radio, I'm, I'm exaggerating. When I say I, modern, I'm still a huge Radiohead fan, and yeah, you know, I agree. But they, you know, they or the Red Hot Chili Peppers. I love the Chili Peppers, but they actually came. Their first album was from 1983, which is the year I was born. So, you know, how modern are they? But yeah, you know. Whatever. I, it's still the world I want to live in. So yeah, exactly. Stay there. Yeah. Yeah. It makes me happy. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so the then the last question that I have here for you, it's a little bit kind of an abstract question, but what is what is it that you feel you contribute positively to the world that is unique to you? Mm-hmm. Goodness. I so deeply want to believe I'm unique, but then I hate thinking that I, I tend to believe I'm not. Um, I don't know. I, I think, I think as I, as I've always said, because I've not been typical, I've been able to be atypical and to take pleasure out of it. I think that's something I desperately want to push onto others. I also think I'm, I don't know if empath is a real thing, but I do bear the weight of the world on my shoulders. And I, you know, I'm deeply vegan and I'm deeply aware of pain that happens in the world. I think I'm aware of pain and I feel it. And I, you know, I'm only learning every day how much more pain there is. I feel like every day I'm, I carry that much more because there's so much out there. And I think I think a lot about it and I discuss it a lot and I feel very passionate about it. And I think that makes sometimes come through in my work. So I think that may be my own acknowledgement of my pain and the pain that I feel in discussing it. And I don't think we live in a, you know, it's hard for people to accept they're pained or weighed down or whatever is going on because it's, you know, we're supposed to be strong. And as women, we, as there's all these different reasons why women and men can only feel so much pain for so many reasons. And I just have never been that way. I've just kind of, been upfront about however I feel. I think that may be refreshing and maybe needed a bit. And that's why I bring it back to what I said at the start, this quest I think humans are on to deny their humanity. And boy, does that annoy me. That's when you see people who can't go to the doctors. That's why you end up having men, mass shooters, because they've brought up in a world where they've been so, so confined and unable to speak or experience or allow themselves to say how they're feeling and so angry that things are not as easy as you're told it was going to be 
you just don't know how to react. You you get it's too much to handle, and I want to spend some time breaking down those walls and beliefs we we have or are told to have that we have to be this clean person. It bothers me. Every person who walks down with a perfect outfit and perfect hair, all I want to do is go to them and ruffle their hair and shake their shoulders. It's uncontrollable how much I want to do that. Do you remember the movie? Obviously, you remember Garden State? Garden I State, yeah. With, yeah, yeah. Uh, isn't his name like Zach something? Or... Yeah, Zach. Yeah. Yeah, I don't remember. Yeah. You, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And that scene where he... Forget which one, but it's him and Natalie Portman, and they're talking about like make a crazy sound and dance in that one spot you're standing because no one else has done it in that one spot. Yeah. You will for that one moment be unique. And I always feel that I want to go to people and force them to do that. Like do something weird, make a sound, jump, like feel. Um, I don't know. Break out of those those boxes you put yourself in today. And yeah. I like it, it's like an itch I feel when I see people like that, and I know that they're in they're, they're in their own made prison, and some people really enjoy it. That's how they want to experience life, and I have in no way saying there's one way to experience it, but that's also what I'm saying. There's no there's just not one way to experience it. It may not just be this. I recently visited a friend who lives in this massive new apartment she just moved in. There's like a thousand people living in it. It's one of the biggest buildings in New York. And it looks like an adult-sized dorm, and everything's white and so sterile, and massive lobby, and ugh. I mean, it made me so uncomfortable. Just not all of, and I'm sure a lot of people love it, and I don't want to poo-poo people who do love it. But boy, did I forget I was human when I walked, and I felt so dirty immediately. I'm like, ugh, everything I touch is going to be gross after. And how horrible is that? I don't know. I don't, maybe I'm just not there yet where I could understand why you want it so badly, but it's very hard for me to understand the appeal. Well, yeah, there's, to me, I just think it's, it's amazing how much we're very much controlled by fear and how much that's the pretense that most people operate under. And yeah, absolutely. I think that's the thing is when you can liberate yourself from that, it, life doesn't necessarily get less scary. You just more so build the confidence that you you know you can break out of it and everything will be okay. Absolutely. And so, no, honestly, I, yeah, yeah, it all came from my mom. Anyone who's lucky enough to meet my mom, she's just the most genuine human being. And so much of what I've taught, I've learned, has come from her and how she sees the world. I, I walked into that building, and my first thought is, my mom would hate this because <laughs> she just loves, you know, she loves the traces of humanity on the world. She just wants to see it all. So does my father, but as a woman, I obviously see it in my mother. Yeah. I, I appreciate that more. Um, I don't know. That's I just beautiful. Crave that. That's yeah. really beautiful. I, I, I love all of that. I, I pretty sure that would, that will resonate with a lot of people as well. And in fact, mm -hmm. all of this. And so I, I, I don't think know if anyone's smart enough to keep up or able, or not even smart enough, or calm enough to keep up with how many times I change subjects in a 10-minute span. <laughs> no, I... I tried. I really tried. You should see the notes in front of me. I've written down everything you've said, and then next to it, there's doodles and me writing out random words you say. I can't stop, but have my brain wander. No, Shona, honestly, you're a fascinating person <laughs> in my eyes. So, like I Thank said, you. even if this is just for me... I 
I don't care. You know, scratch your own itch, right? So that's <laughs> that's what I I really I'm glad that you came on this Thank podcast you. and and took the time and were so open and uh, it's amazing being able to being able to talk to you know everyone that I'm able to and especially you and I really love what you're doing and I think it's something very special so thank you thank so you. much and uh, no I deeply enjoyed it I don't it, even know how long we've been on it feels like both not long and very long oh almost three hours yeah I know it was lovely no it's great and oh so we're I wanted to ask you where you want people to follow along with you and where they can contact you if you like being contacted all of that chit chatting so uh, so my instagram is at shona s-h-o-n-a underscore mcandrew which is mc andrew and then i think through that you can both you could find my email and everything else so then my website is uh, shona mcandrew.com um but i'm pretty i enjoy social media i enjoy no i don't enjoy it sometimes it can yeah. be the worst but i enjoy reaching out to people and i enjoy being reached out to and social media has allowed that to happen so i deeply appreciate it for that for that reason so i love any random message i love when people tell me just how they feel or, or how they want to feel i'm down with anything just chit chat with me there you go everyone you got an open invitation no th- thank you so much Sean. I-, I really appreciate your time thank you so much for oh, coming no problem on. thank you thank you to everyone that has listened as well as to my guest shona mcandrew if you enjoyed this episode and others i would love to hear your feedback as well as any suggestions you might have you can contact me at grant at gtrimble.com that's g-r-a-n-t at g trimble.com or visit my website for show notes at gtrimble.com and then click the podcast link. Don't forget to follow Shona on Instagram at Shona McAndrew, S-H-O-N-A underscore M-C-A-N-D-R-E-W and on her website, shonamcandrew.com. My IG is gtrimble underscore photo. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please tell your loved ones and show your support by clicking the subscribe button and leaving a review and don't forget to spread the word. Oh, so